The Koi Gig Pod. I think all the concerns that we have obviously being that middle tier are very valid considering just how much we benefited from playing teams of a higher calibre going into our qualifiers. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. Good morning. It is Monday's OTB AM. Nathan with you this morning. And have we got a very special surprise for you. I think it might be, it'll be the first time ever. Adrian Barry is with us on a Monday morning. How are you? Morning, Nathan. Good morning. That was very uh, matter of fact. My wife said to me yesterday, when's the last time go. yourself and Nathan um, what? were on together? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Easy. And, uh, did she think this was a good thing or, or, or a bad thing? Oh, no, I think generally a good thing, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have to... Um, I couldn't remember, actually. We'll have to prove her right over the next two hours. And there's no doubt we're going to do that. Did you good weekend? Uh, good weekend, yeah. The fourth birthday party oh, yesterday glorious. afternoon, so at home. Um, so, yeah, that was great. We did. A bit of cheese and wine for the fourth birthday uh, party, I assume? In. There was actually cheese and wine. There was. Of course. Um, and the kids had their stuff, and uh, and and oh, life is good. It's nice. Uh, four is kind of good. There's not huge expectation from the kids. Um, anything's a bonus. Loads. Um, they got stacked up in sweets, Nathan. You know yourself. Anything after that um, is good for them. So that no, was good. Good afternoon, you. Uh, I had a oh, lot of uh, you know uh, children's GA and children's soccer over the oh, weekend. Yeah. Had to go to the north side yesterday. Have you ever been to the north side? I had to go all the way to St Anne's Park yesterday. Right. It's bloody miles away. Have I ever been to the north side? I have. I've never been to St. Anne's Park in my life. Took me about an hour to get there. Paul playing there. It's outrageous. Uh, outrageous. Yeah. And uh, then in the GA, we had this hurling on the green on Saturday. It was about oh. 400 kids around the club all together. Uh, it's sort of everybody from the club taking each other on a sort of mini World Cup type thing. Down in Jews. It was glorious. A few tears. Really? And what about the kids? The kids were like, hey. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was sort of me. So, um, yeah. Uh, commentary of the best Premier League game of the season yesterday then, which I'm sure everybody enjoyed. Oh yeah, Brighton Aston Villa. Oh, I tell you what, I went out in a high. I went out in a high. Best commentary for the best Premier League game in the season. Right. Exactly, that's that's uh, what they're saying. Uh, there was there was a lot of good stuff on over the weekend, and we're going to get to that over the next little while. Daniel Harris is going to be with us at ten past eight, uh, so he's going to be talking about the big story, which is Cristiano Ronaldo's interview with Piers Morgan, which we're going to get to in a moment. Uh, he reflect on Manchester United's late late victory against Fulham. Alejandro Garnacho, just how good is this kid going to be? And maybe a little bit of chat about the World Cup, which gets underway in six days' time. And we got Quinny on our a lacklustre performance against Fiji at the weekend and Cahal Malani is going to join us to talk about everything else because there is a whole lot of other stuff to talk about the club GEA the controversy again and the fighting in, in the stands at Parnell Park we're going to talk about the Formula 1 uh, Max Verstappen had uh, quite a lot to say about Sergio Perez so all that coming as well you can get in touch of course get your live comments in on YouTube or any of our social channels OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mo you can sign up or donate now on Movember.com but we're going to start with the performance rankings you know that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance probably should have won the game based on the second half performance is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup maybe not OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head that performance is just lacked that intensity I've generally struggled with the pressure of the performance rankings but Adrian this is your first time in the hot seat so what are you going with in the red, go easy on me, Nathan. Go easy on me over the next while. I'm uh, I'm a debutante here. Um, yeah, and we were sort of <laughs> we were discussing this over back a little bit yesterday evening as to who would fit into which exact shade. I mean, it was grand up until about 
nine o'clock last night when um, the football world exploded with the news about Ronaldo, and that's where we're going to kick things off. Um, and uh, Ronaldo does Pierce Morgan is the short story. The interview is going out, I think, Wednesday or Thursday on what's it called? Talk TV. Talk TV. Never known like uh, the, everybody knows about Piers Morgan. What's it called? Un- uninterrupted, whatever it is, and then like nobody's ever heard of the channel. Is Talk TV the same thing as GB News, or is it a different Oof, station completely? You would, you would I'm told a different station be? completely. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, he's he's done this explosive interview. It's crossed a lot of the back pages and some of the front pages even this morning. It's that explosive. Um, is Ronaldo's interview with Piers Morgan? Um, it kind of feels like his Roy Keane MUTV moment, and that he may never play for the club again. Will be my suspicion. So, we do appreciate that, you know, you might have not the, got the ins and outs of the exact details of this interview just yet, so we've a couple of clips to bring you. This is Ronaldo in conversation with Piers Morgan with two clips. First one is, he's been betrayed by Manchester United. They're trying to force you out. Yes, not only the coach, but the other two or three guys there around the club. At uh, the senior executive level? Yes, that I felt betrayed. And uh, you think they're trying to get rid of you? Honestly, I shouldn't say that, I don't know, but listen, I... I don't care, I'm always, people should listen to true. Yes, I feel betrayed and I felt that some people that don't want me here, not only this year, but last year too. I don't know what's going on, but since, since the, um, Sarah Alex Ferguson left, I saw no evolution in the club. The progress was zero. For example, we have an interesting point that how the club as Manchester United after suck um, Ole mm-hmm. they buy they bring sport directive Ralph Regnick which is something that nobody understands this guy is, is not even a coach a bigger club like Manchester United bring sport directive surprise not only me but all the world you know nothing changed surprisingly not only the pool the jacuzzi even the gym even some points of technology, the kitchen, the chefs, which is I appreciate, lovely, lovely persons, they stop in a, in a time, which is, is, it surprised me a lot. I thought I will see different things, different, as I mentioned before, technology, infrastructure. But unfortunately, we see many things that I'm used to see when I was 20, 21, 23, so... Surprised me a lot. Yeah, this is Ronaldo lashing out. There's an Alan Partridge quality to that, by the way, that I hadn't fully picked Listen, up on. A, a Travelodge style. Jacuzzi you know. technology has moved on massively <laughs> over the past 10 years. And if Manchester United aren't keeping up with that... Do you think there was a comment there somewhere? <laughs> he was he about to go to town on the chef. Chef, and he, oh. In fairness, there was a, a, a one little glimmer of self-awareness there where he thought, ooh, if I, if I personalise this against the chef, there's definitely going to be a backlash. The thing is, he had never eaten in that canteen again. Either way, is he like that's it? That's him done now, as far as I'm concerned. This is his Roy Keane MUTV moment. He's hit the nuclear button, which is Piers Morgan in this instance. And obviously, he wasn't in the uh, squad over the weekend, he wasn't in the team over the weekend. They'd listed illness yesterday mm-hmm. as a reason that he wasn't going to be in there. And it's one of those loose terminologies that everybody kind of suspected. The main thought was that he'd rest himself for the World Cup. Maybe that was also true. But well, when uh, was this interview recorded? We need to find out because it, if this was recorded in the middle of last week. Well, Morgan was tweeting about it yesterday afternoon saying, uh, international news desks, you need to be at the ready from 10 o'clock tonight or whatever it was that started to release the teasers that uh, you're going to be busy. So whether, they'd been, they, whether they had recorded it in the week and he was sitting on it for that period of time, who knows? But is anything he said there wrong? 
I think there's two sides to it. I think the betrayal is absolute claptrap in the sense that, like, you know, he's given out about the coach, some executives within the club. Of course they're trying to get rid of him. He, they view him as no longer somebody who's offering something to the club. Well, so, so it's within their remit for a player who's earning an absolute fortune to be able to say, this is no longer an asset for us. We're spending too much money. We would like to get rid of you. So I think that the idea that he should be sort of lauded as he walks in the door and, you know, bow down in front of Ronaldo as he comes into work every day is just ridiculous because Ronaldo 2022 is not the player uh, in physicality that he thinks he is in his head. But even that clip, I really want to see the full interview to if Piers Morgan delves deeper, which I suspect he won't. I suspect this is going to be the most uh, sycophantic interview we've ever seen. The very fact he sat with Piers Morgan, mm. Cristiano Ronaldo knew what he was going to get. But... He's talking about last season, certain individuals wanting rid. Like Cristiano Ronaldo handed in a transfer request in the summer. He was desperate to leave the club. Uh, you assume not because of the individuals in the background, but because he knew everything he's just outlined, that the club was going nowhere fast. Mm. Uh, wasn't impressed with Ralf Rangnick, as I think is completely acceptable uh, that he's come back. And you know what, what, it, what was Ralf Rangnick? Uh, probably the greatest waste of money Manchester United have ever spent, maybe with the exception of Cristiano Ronaldo over the past 18 months. But I think a lot of Manchester United supporters will listen to that and go, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the greatest players of all time, who has set unbelievably high standards for himself, who in the 10 years since Manchester United last won a league, has won four Champions League, has won countless league titles, has won five Ballon d'Ors, and he's saying what we do isn't on a par with Real Madrid or Juventus or the best clubs in world football, and that's because of the Glazers and unnamed executives. So calling that out, he's dead right to call that out. Yeah, I think that's. I think there are two sides to it. I think on the I've been betrayed bit. I think that's nonsense. And I was listening to Talksport in the wind. But unless morning, he was betrayed, unless he was betrayed, unless like, when he, he came back to the club, he was told we're going to put a massive investment in. We're going to build a team around you, yeah. and over the next two or three years, we're going to get back in the Champions League. We're going to challenge for that. We're going to challenge for titles. And then six months later, Ralph Ragnick is his manager. But to borrow a phrase, new information came to light, man. Like you weren't. We thought you were this guy, and it turns out you're not. And you're well, not. He was their top scorer the last season. I know he was. And like, look. You know, we talked to Daniel Harris a little bit later on. Maybe you think I was watching matches today last night, and Jermaine Defoe was making the point that like uh, they're they're goal shy and shot shy and whatever other phrase you want to use in front of goal. And maybe if he was in the team yesterday, they would have been slightly better. But we've been saying that now for a couple of years. Maybe if Ronaldo was in the team, they would have done a bit better. And then when he's there, you know, he just there's no work rate about him. And of course, he gets a few goals. You just. He gets more goals than anybody else. I know, Sean Childs would say here every Thursday evening, what more do you want from him? I know. What more do you want from him? A bit of work. Actually, I think, a bit of work. I, I, and I, I thought last season he didn't fit into the system, but when I've seen him play this season, he's generally putting in the effort. Yeah, he can't do what he did five years ago, ten years ago. But on the pitch, when he's been in the mood, I think he still has a, he's still good enough for a place in this Manchester United squad. He says he's been betrayed. His version, of, his virgin, virgin, version, it's Monday morning, of being betrayed is everybody else's, he's just not up to it. And I think that he's too blind to see that from his, from his position at the minute. And also the idea that, you know, uh, he's been betrayed partly because, you know, he wasn't allowed to leave the club. Is that the insinuation that he couldn't get out of it? But then you had Roy Keane saying that, you know, that the club were blocking his path to get out of there um, in, the, in the not that distant past so I well, what, bit, what, what I does Roy Keane say about this this obviously was timed for the end of the Premier League first part of the Premier League season so he doesn't have to go back into Manchester United but it also means yeah. that we're unlikely to get the full Gary Neville Roy Keane reaction uh, tonight or over the coming days though I'm 
I'm sure we'll hear from a lot of those former Manchester United players, but Keane has been a staunch defender of Cristiano Ronaldo. And you just say, uh, you know, there are similarities between the way Keane exited the club and the way he questioned people. I, I think Keane's was more of the players, more so than it seems to be the structure that Cristiano Ronaldo's having a go at. But like, this is unacceptable. Like, Wayne Rooney was very honest on TalkSport last week saying, like, there's no way in hell. Roy Keane would have stood for a player mm. speaking like this. Uh, the best bit, which they haven't released a clip of, but uh, I'd imagine is going to go viral, is his criticism of Wayne Rooney. So I think everyone was quite impressed with Wayne Rooney that he didn't take the usual yeah. former player line and gone, oh, he's one of the greatest players who've ever played the game. And, you know, you've got to respect his opinion. Uh, said he was completely out of line, that you know he can't, can't do what he did and can't refuse to come on. Uh, Ronaldo said, I don't know why he criticises me so badly. Probably because he finished his career and I'm still playing at a high level. Then with a smirk, Ronaldo added, I'm not going to say that I'm looking better than him, which is true. He's so vain, like, isn't he? It's just, well, he this, can't, actually can't this, help himself. Like, that's hardly breaking news that Cristiano Ronaldo is vain. I know, but like, I mean, Jesus, just give it a break for a minute while you're, while you're here. Right, he's chosen to do this interview and what is he actually expecting to get out of it is the other thing. Like, is he expecting that the great United fan base are sort of suddenly, you know, motivated to the point that there are, you know, they ditch their Glazers out protests in favour of Ronaldo in or is he, is he thinking about, I mean, basically, look at, maybe he's trying to force a way out of the club and in that regard, he probably has in that, like, he ain't ever going back and there's nobody that can make a case for that now. Even the most staunch, I think, Ronaldo fans, it's but, done now. Well, it is, but they may well be in a similar position to last summer where Cristiano Ronaldo wanted to leave, Manchester United wanted him to leave, but they couldn't find a club to take him because nobody could afford his wages or the clubs that he wanted to go to felt that he didn't fit their system. So perhaps now he has something lined up post-World Cup. But I wonder what his target audience is here. So anybody who watches the Premier League or understands English football will look at this and think, Cristiano Ronaldo as you say, hasn't been making the impact that he was five, ten years ago. He's no longer the best player in the world. But Cristiano Ronaldo is arguably bigger than Manchester United in large parts of the world for people who take a passing interest in football. And if we woke up this morning and Tom Brady had done this interview about Tampa Bay, from afar I'd be going, well, Tampa Bay is obviously in absolute shambles. Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback who's ever lived. How's he having to put up with this? The chef. The chef is no good. Like, why aren't they listening to him? They're going to have to absolutely change everything. Whereas if you're following NFL day to day, you may realise, well, actually, Tom Brady's not the player he once was. And Tampa Bay, yeah, everything's not perfect. And there's obviously a comparison there with the Glazers as well. I don't know. But I think, I think there's a wider audience for Cristiano Ronaldo that he's talking to rather than the hardcore Manchester United fan, who you'd have to assume are somewhat alienated by this, even if he is making a lot of valid points. But Ronaldo's a worldwide superstar. And I think an awful lot of those people who are more interested in Cristiano Ronaldo than Manchester United will go, yeah, it's probably right. Yeah, I think for those people who basically what you're saying is they don't have the full picture, right? Save it for your book. Wait 10 years' time. Settle your scores then. This is the new book. Ah, a two-minute viral clip. I'm going to have I a look think, and see how many views. When I was going, I could barely sleep last night. I wanted to see was there more to come. <laughs> I think um, the uh, look. At, I think the reality is that this guy, right? He's got, he's out the door. The, the, the point about the no evolution of the club is spot on. Seven point right? eight million views. Yeah, that's better than writing any book. The 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 point about the no evolution of the club is spot on. The Ranić stuff. Uh, suddenly we've got maybe a better insight into why the club has been going backwards over the last number of years if what he's saying is true but my conclusion out of all of that is here's Ronaldo one of the best players 
in his mind and now in Piers Morgan's mind as opposed to when he previously thought Messi was the best player in his mind and in Piers Morgan's mind he's the best player to have ever played the game right so he walks in the door there a couple of years ago and he's looking around him going chef you're still making like potato waffles and whatever else it is and you just end up to it and the jacuzzi technology is not right and who is this auditor I've never heard it before and what's he doing why didn't he stand up and go lads here I've been to Juventus and I've been to Real Madrid over the last 10 years they do things a bit differently here. I have a few ideas. It sounds like... But he has! It sounds I, I like he know. has done that. Do you think Ronaldo's sitting there in the dressing room bitching and moaning? It no chance. It doesn't Ronaldo sound like, is in day what, one what, going, what, would, what the hell is going on here? What would Look, I'm surprised to hear that the jacuzzi technology is not what it, once, what it should have been, right? Or that the, the stats stuff wasn't as good as it was, or the fitness stuff, or the diets, or the menus. That, You're not surprised. That, so You're not am, surprised to hear that. I Everybody am. knows that. That's the problem with Manchester United. But, you look at the stadium, the stadium is falling apart because the Glazers haven't invested in it. So there's no investment on the pitch there hasn't been well there's been investment on the pitch but there's been little or no investment off the pitch uh, and that you would I'm not shocked at all to hear that extends to not having the latest cutting edge technology at the training ground on the basis that money is clearly not an issue I am surprised to hear that I have to say that they couldn't have done they couldn't have done some work in that regard they have all the money in the world it's the most blindly obvious thing in the world if you can see what's happening in the background that they wouldn't have done something about that that to me is a bit bizarre I would love to know and I'm sure Piers is Asked the question, it was a deep sort of interview, as you say, where it was like cutting edge, uncomfortable questioning. I'm sure at times, uh, I'm sure he said to him, "Did you say this to them when you were there?" I'm, I would be shocked if he did. I don't know. I uh, I'll obviously sit and watch the full interview. I am reminded of uh, Eamon Dunphy talking about Garth Crooks and Sven Goran Eriksson, and I would fear that compared to Garth Crooks and Sven Goran Eriksson, this would be more like a little peck in the cheek yeah. from Piers Morgan to Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, there's no question about it. But like, look, the the conclusion out of this obviously is that he. Uh, wasn't going anywhere, anywhere uh, fast. I, uh, by the way, I also think all of this reflects really well on Ten Hag. Like this was Ten a, Hag made him captain a week ago. I know, but the poison that this guy has become, right? He the stuff after the Tottenham game where he walks off, even after all of that, Ten Hag brings him back under the fold, knowing that you know there's a personality issue there. If you want to word it that way, Ronaldo wants out. He thinks he's better than the club. He thinks he's better than Ten Hag. Basically, thinks he's better than everybody else around him. He hasn't criticised any of his teammates, but you can be damn sure. Maybe he does in the interview. You can be damn sure that he thinks he's better than everybody else in the team. That's the older underlying point of this entire interview is, I'm better than Rashford, and I'm better than Martial, and I'm better than all these other schleps. Why am I in the team? That's a total disrespect to his teammates as well. I, none of this reflects well on, on Ronaldo. I do think it reflects well on Ten Hag. I do think that it's the conclusion of uh, Mark Ronaldo, Mark II, at United. He knows that he's not going to be playing there, obviously, until uh, the very earliest Stevens Day anyway. And that's now done. That's cooked. He's gone. As you say, he's gone off to the World Cup. He generally has tended to raise his, manage to be able to raise his game a bit more for uh, Portugal over the last couple of years. Maybe he ends up having a good tournament. Maybe, as you say, he's got something else uh, lined up. But uh, I do think the timing of this thing is weird. I think the cozying up to Piers Morgan is bizarre in the absolute extreme. None of these things are bizarre or well, weird. He's, it's, it it's all be- fits it's, the it's, pattern. It's not like he's been... The two of them have been grooming each other over the last couple of years. Like, Piers Morgan's on TalkSport every other week saying, well, I've been talking to Ronaldo and he tells me he's not happy. Now, Ronaldo hears that and he's still in contact with this guy. It's a slightly bizarre using each other um, dynamic. And I just, that part, I don't fully understand, I have to say, like that he chooses uh, that, that path. Maybe, you hinted earlier on, he's got a club lined up and he's hit the nuclear button because he knows everything is sorted in December anyway. And that's it, done. Bizarre. I think we have another clip 
of Ronaldo. Uh, so they've only released. We don't. We don't have another clip of uh, Ronaldo. No. Okay. That's all you need to hear from now, Nathan. There's more stuff to come. There's more. I, I'm sure there's going. Well, I'm wondering: is there going to be that drip feed? Uh, was, is that all the good stuff? Uh, you'd expect it's the juiciest stuff. But like that's the stuff that makes a lot of the front pages this morning. There's probably loads of stuff as a football fan that you'll be able to get your teeth into afterwards. But I like it. Obviously, I don't think there's um, any case from stay on here. I actually think that Roy Keane also hasn't helped Ronaldo <clears throat> with his endorsing of him um, walking out after the Tottenham game. I ultimately think that he needed somebody who he clearly Ronaldo clearly respects to say at that point, "Listen, this wasn't right. He shouldn't have done that. He needs to get himself back in the fold. Be a team player." which Ronaldo clearly at this stage of his career, at any stage of his career, let's face it, is not. Does anybody in Ronaldo's position have that person? (sighs) I don't think so. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, There's lots more stuff in there about his personal life, which was obviously um, tough going from over the last year, but I think that gives you the greater sense of what's going on. So he is firmly in the red. A little less red, but uh, quite red this morning, is Ranty Razzy Erasmus. And he's been at it again. Uh, South Africa have been beaten again and Razi Erasmus has taken to Twitter to um, after the loss to France over the weekend. Whatever his game is again here, you sort of begin to wonder about people's motives and what the hell is he playing at. You get a bit of a sense. I'm not going to read you the tweets, show you the clips, but he's been given out about some stuff that happened. Forearm challenging one of his players in one of the tweets. A forward pass that wasn't a forward pass, he says, and another one. And on and on it goes. It's more the stuff that you saw last week. Uh, and the week before, and then the summer before that. It's just another um, staging post for Razzy Erasmus. And so who is the target audience for this stuff? Is it that he's going to take some of the heat off his players because people aren't talking about the shortcomings of his team now? Is it trying to reassure his players? Is the definitely the school of thought that I subscribe to that, listen, lads, we've just marginally come out on the wrong side here, but it's not us. We've got to keep to the plan. It's the referee's fault, and it'll all come right come the World Cup. That's my school of thought, that that's who he's actually speaking to here. Is he trying to put minds in the doubt of referee, uh, doubt in the minds of referees to say, um, you know, think twice the next time you're about to make a decision against my team? Or is he just giving himself and the rest of his South, South African coaching ticket a bit of a break? He's saying, listen, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. Referee decisions are going against us. Um, so, yeah, or is it the South African fans at home? I don't know. Whatever it is, he is beginning to... He's well on the road, I think, and looking at some of the reaction online yesterday from some respected sources, he's losing um, the respect of the international rugby audience. If you Your terminology about um, Ronaldo, the greater rugby audience who aren't as au fait with the specific details of all of this as Erasmus is, I think... Um, He's starting to lose that respect. And where the hell does he go from here? Like, they play Italy next week. They'll probably beat Italy. I know Italy had a big win over the weekend against Australia. But they'll play them on Saturday. What happens after that? Like, let's say they do win. Is he back on Twitter, like, making a few more points? Where does it all end? It's Jose Mourinho, Nathan, I think it was the expression you used when you were sat in this seat mm. last week. And um, he's just short of hopping into the laundry basket. Yeah, I, I think the point about the referees and the influence of the referees, it feels like it's gone way past that now. Mm. Because when it happens once and the coach of the world champions has a real personal go to referee, you, you, you would wonder what impact that would have on that individual. But now it's every week, to the extent that surely all of the referees are thinking, this guy, I'm sick of him. So rather than giving the decisions, uh, human nature would be to rail against them, to go... Actually, why, why, why would we bother? Like, do you think the referees this weekend are going, oh, no, I can't believe Razzie's had a go at us. He has a go every single week. Mm. So uh, I can't see it having any positive impact for South Africa. And I do wonder 
what the South African players think about this. Like, they, they are the world champions. They should be above this. Like, they should still, uh, while they're preparing for next year, be going around like the big dogs. Like, mm. not, not getting into petty little squabbles like this. And maybe it is genius from Razi Erasmus and it's a pure distraction technique. And again, you're talking about that rather than the defeat. And he's doing all sorts of work behind the scenes. And they're trying to build towards next year. And he's just trying to take the glare off the players. But I just think being a world champion brings you to another level where you have such automatic respect from everybody. You just fall back that constantly. Whereas now it's like they're a bit of a laughing stock. Like, mm. People are making a joke out of this every week. Is that what you want to be when you're one of the best rugby players in the world? That's what your coach is, is, is turning the rest of the world against you? Well, to continue the uh, Alan Partridge line of thought, he'll, uh, he'll have the last laugh is I think what, is what he's getting at here. I think... Um, Everybody wants consistency from referees, right? There's going to be every single game that's ever been played, there's somebody's got a gripe about the referee somewhere along the line. And he's obviously feeling really put out by this entire thing. And uh, I also feel that it slightly under, under, uh, undermines uh, Jacques Ninabar. Like, what's his thought in all of this? He's actually the head coach of this thing. And here's your man, like, who's his boss, director of rugby, who's out on Twitter every other week. I mean, that's not helpful, is it? Well, what does Jacques Ninabar do? Like... Is it well, he's the man. Real really. role? Yeah, no, I think he. I think he is the man. Uh, he's obviously not got the celebrity profile of his boss, ultimately. But um, you know, Jack wouldn't be asked on to strictly come dancing, but Razzie might be. <laughs> I don't think either of them. Oh, South African strictly is that what you're talking about? Yeah, quite possibly. I don't know if there is a South African strictly. Um, Tony Adams went from strictly last night. Oh, did he? Very good dancer. Is he? He kind of came in the first week. We thought he was going to be the joke contestant. Yeah. No, some serious moves. Right. They got injured. I the headline know. was Adams out of Strictly after injury. Is that what happened to him last night, or was he? No, he was he was oh, injured. He, he was in on. the dance off, but he was injured, so he had to step aside. Are you, I wouldn't have had you as a Strictly man. I think. That's very very popular. In my house. Cele- I'm a celeb man. I've watched bits of it. It's just it's just on so often. Mm. And also, the World Cup is coming up. I know. You so can't get too invested. You can't, can't fully commit. I, like, it, it's, it's a very difficult watch. You're watching Matt Hancock and going, like, this guy is responsible for the death of thousands of people and they're all having a joke and he sort of gives a half-hearted apology. And I'm just looking for forgiveness. Like, piss off. I think he's actually coming off quite well out of it. But that, that in itself isn't right. Mike Tyndall is the man. That's, that's, that's I, the... I only saw one bit where one of them asked Mike Tyndall uh, what his wife did. Ah, you're joking me. Well, they're probably not in there for their intellect. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get through the crown at the moment, so that's why I'm also not watching oh, yeah. Celebrity. I've heard it's it's not as good as the previous series. No, it's not. The Queen isn't as convincing. Mm. I think it's all a bit too real now because you remember it, whereas actually it felt like I'm sure it was a very top line history lesson. And uh, anybody who is uh, more afraid with all this will say you know, it's a dramatized version of it all. But now, like it's all '90s, which I can remember, and you're going, mm. "Was it really like that?" I'm not quite sure. And given events, Johnny Lee Miller is John Major. He's just. Yeah. Johnny D. Miller's too good looking to be John Major, and the Irish guy is too good looking to be Prince Charles. It's a bit like watching the Titanic as well. You kind of know, ultimately, <laughs> the thing has gone south. What's, what's, what's going to happen? Anyways, right. there's the TV review of the weekend. Um, uh, Amber, what do you got for in us? In the Amber, I've got Irish rugby. I sort of before Ronaldo uh, did, did last night, I think I did slightly in the green, which might have been a bit controversial, but it was at the, uh, went to the Aviva on uh, Saturday afternoon, Nathan, and um, I'm not as a downbeat as maybe some of the report uh, reports have been on the Irish rugby team um, after the weekend. Like, it's a bit of a 
hiding to nothing in a lot of ways. And those games typically tended to tended to have been have been at some of those November internationals uh, against Fiji before. And um, yeah, you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing. Like unless you go out and beat them by about fifty points, everybody's um, sort of moaning about it. And obviously the game didn't get off to the most amazing start. Um, but um, yeah, I think that obviously everything at the minute is in the context of who's going to make uh, the plane for the World Cup. That's dominating everything. And I do think that actually the A loss to the All Blacks 15s a few weeks ago is going to be referenced for the next year or so. This game might slightly come in under the radar a little bit, but I do think that that was almost a bit of a sliding doors moment for a whole pile of players that aren't realistically now. I think there might be seven games left before the World Cup starts. Some of them are obviously frontline Six Nations matches, which you know I think a bunch of those players are just not going to get their chance uh, to put their hand up, you know, the likes of Gavin Coombs who got ditched out. The back row is really interesting um, as a start, as a jumping off point given uh, the competitive nature of it. But I think if you look at the likes of Gavin Coombs who got ditched out, even from the larger squad uh, post that A loss to the uh, New Zealand 15, uh, went back to Munster, like had obviously a very good game um, for them in the win over um, South Africa A. But yeah, I think his his chance is probably gone now. Like, and he probably, you know, he'll be a player who will come in probably post the World Cup at some point. Certainly wouldn't think his Ireland career is done, but in terms of World Cup. So you have the likes of that, the sliding doors aspect of it. And then you have Nick Timoney, who uh, gets his shot against Fiji, is retained in the squad. Also one of those players who had played in that uh, loss to the All Blacks A. And. Um, yeah, I just think given the strength across the back row, there wouldn't have been a huge amount of people who would have given somebody like Nick Timoney a shot at making the World Cup squad, but suddenly he's starting to really play his way into, uh, into form. You assume he's playing his way into Paul O'Connell's thoughts and Andy Farrell's thoughts, uh, gets a couple of tries, um, and you look at the likes of Kieran Treadwell, for example, um, did well, most likely to miss that uh, New Zealand game. Um, he was a sub against South Africa last weekend, got 50 minutes under his belt on Saturday, nearly had a try to his name. Again, another one of these players that, like, I'm sort of making the case here that people have left uh, the Aviva, or it seems like by and large, with the idea that this was... Um, forgettable. Forgettable. Look, at it. certainly in terms of the game, I'm not going to make that case. It was... Uh, drab. I think the referee probably didn't help it. I'm not going to go full razzie on him. It didn't probably didn't help it. It was very stop start. Um, there was a, it was error strewn as well, so not entirely uh, his fault. But I do think that uh, the likes of Kieran Treadwell, for example, like there is a bit of a bubbling under of um, of players who have suddenly become live options. The one area, of course, that is the constant point of conversation that we still don't know exactly where we're at on is ten. Well, this is basically a referendum on Joey Carberry, and you look at that starting team. In the back line, like it doesn't take a huge amount to happen for that to be an Irish back line in a Six Nations game or a World Cup where he's starting alongside Jameson Gibson Park, Mac Hansen and Robert Balakoon are on the wings. He's got Robbie Henshaw and Stuart McCluskey in the centre. All right, you'd expect that Jimmy O'Brien won't be starting these games, but he has a lot of quality outside him and experience. Yeah. Did he? Did he pass? Oh, did he pass the ball? They did he pass? I mean, he did. He did, but. Look, number one thing to say, I think, about the 10 position is that the benchmark for what we, for the level we expect the 10 to get to is too high. At the minute, he's probably, Johnny Sexton's probably the best number 10 in the world and, like, getting better with age, it's incredible. Like, the idea that he's going to retire in 12 months time, look, maybe at that point his powers are beginning to wane and, uh, you know, everybody's sort of satisfied that it's all done and dusted and away he goes. But he's playing at the peak of his powers and it's an unfair benchmark. You're, the reason that Johnny Sexton is the, the uh, you know, top choice for Ireland is that he's by far and away the best number 10. You would just like the gap. He's, Sexton is like a 9 or a 10 out of 10 almost every game he plays. And then the rest are about 
they sort of waver between a 6 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10, depending. And the, any of them can sort of swap into that position. With Joey Carberry specifically, um, it's just never felt as if he's come in and grabbed the position by the scruff of the neck and put his stamp on it and said, that's it, I'm here, I'm going to go ahead. I'm, look at it again, he obviously, um, his game ended a bit prematurely the last day. But certainly in the minutes he had, it just wasn't what you want from a player against that level of opposition to be able to dictate the game. He's very good out of, out of hand, obviously, with, um, uh, from the boot out of hand. He's very good place-kicking. All that sort of stuff is very good. But it's always in that 6 to 8 out of 10 range. And you just kind of want, you know... And you look at the players that are stacking up behind him, Nathan, as well. You've got, obviously, Frawley looks to be possibly pushing in for that number three position now. Uh, Crowley, potentially, from what we saw last week. Uh, we're not going to see enough of Harry Byrne, I don't think, before the World Cup. Ross Byrne seems to be out of favour. Carty, the same. Ben Healy was incredible for Munster last weekend um, in Cork, but he's not really in the mix. So you have a bunch of players there who roughly, I think, give or take, you could sort of swap any of them in uh, for second at any given point. But we're all in on the Carberry train. So Carberry's seems- spending more time looking behind him than looking in front of him. Um, yeah, probably, but he also doesn't seem by personality that he is that type of personality that's going to go in. He seems like a quiet enough sort of chap, even around the pitch. It doesn't seem like he's he's barking at, and it's hard. Like he's stepping onto the pitch there, and he's like, you know, straight away he must be thinking, okay, like I know you're used to having the best, you know, ten in the world stood in this position, and he's barking at you, he's given order, and he's got ten years' experience behind him. And Carberry doesn't have any of that. Like he needs what Carberry needs or needed, I should say. It is six years in Chicago. Well, he needed. It's a great point, Sexton, to have got injured at some point for a prolonged period of time to get the games that he was going to get because no Ireland coach was going to go. We've got this guy over here and he's amazing, and we're just going to take him out for a long period of time to give the next guy some game time. And the thing that we're still unsure about is if he had got a run of six or seven or eight games Carberry at that full test level against full test teams would he have stood up we're still not sure about that and that's a slightly dangerous position to be in um, yeah heading into a World Cup two other points could I have time to make two other points about the Aviva on Saturday go on um, sorry it's one point sure. but I two points out of it I think I've solved the people going for pints and everybody getting pissed off about it okay. situation, which uh, I was in again on Saturday, and I'd sort of wavered, right? My starting position was, I don't mind. If you need to go for a pint, you need to go for a pint, you need to go for a piss, do it, that's fine. You've paid your money in, that's grand. I'd gone from that to, been to uh, the Leinster-Munster game with my uh, two kids and being just sort of annoyed by the amount of people getting in and out and how distracting it was, um, and now I think I've solved it. I think Here we go. the first thing is that the Aviva need to introduce seat service. Bring the pints to the people. Happens in a lot of stadiums now. Happens in almost all American sport. Like, it's a slight bit of an inconvenience. You have somebody going around, they're dishing out pints. It reduces all the queues. It's not going to fully do away with, like, you can't really have the chip vendors out or the Guinness. Fa- I don't think you can really serve Guinness in that way. I think the Guinness drinkers will be like, no thanks. I'll go up to the bar and get her out of, get her from the full draft. I think you're you're getting that balance between handiness and it been thirty seconds too long sitting yeah. there. I, I I think if you go to those matches anyway, it's quite often they just fill the Guinness and they leave it sitting there and they hand it to you straight away. I'm not saying it's the greatest point in the world, but I am saying that I think that you'll have a lot of snobs okay. like yourself who'd be like, "Listen, I don't want to be seen to be drinking this thing." If they bring you a glass of wine, I'm happy. Exactly. So I think that seat service um, okay. is the first point, and the other point about that is that the person is going to have enough cop on so they'll be trained enough to know that they can duck and dive and get their way out and that leads me to the second point if you are going in and out to get your points your points 
have some cap on. So there was a few people, and this is fairly typical, stood in front of us and they were going in to get a pint. And it wasn't like, you know, so the 10 minutes go to half time and you're sort of ducking out from the people and you're sort of excusing yourself and you're getting in and out as quick as you can. What was happening was they were stood up, you have a pint, you have a pint, you okay? You have a pint, five pints, okay, great. And they come back with the five pints and they, five of them will stand up in front of the row behind them and start dishing out the pints. Get in, get your pints, get sat down. I mean, I know I'm going full Razzie on this. Get sat down as soon as you can and have some respect for the people around you. There are the two things that I think would solve this thing. So they could keep the bars open, keep the money flowing, keep the people who want a pint having a pint. Just get seat service and punters have some cop on. Fair I enough. won't lie, I was expecting a little bit more innovation with that. So your, your two plans are just copy what they do in pretty much every other stadium yeah. in the world and don't be an asshole. That's pretty much it. Don't be a dickhead. No dickheads rule for the fans going into the Aviva. Uh, Good morning to all the children on their way to school this morning. Great to see you guys. Hope you have a lovely day. World Cup start next week. Hopefully the teachers will let you watch some of it. Hopefully the teachers will uh, let you watch some of it is, uh, is what we want for all of you. Uh, yeah, that is the first, you're right on the second part. It's almost become part of the show for people is, oh, look, I'm going and I'm going to bring back eight pints. Hey, everybody's. It's like, no, we don't care that you're buying pints for you and all your mates. Just sit down, shut up and watch the game. And also, like, know when to do it. So if you're, if you're about to walk back out of the doors, back down to your seat, wait until there's a break and play. Like, don't be coming down when there's sort of Ireland are pumping the try line. Hold off. That all fits into the don't be it, whatever you're having yourself. Let's get to the green. Into the green, and I put Arsenal uh, in the green here, Nathan. I mean, it's a broader conversation about um, where the Premier League is at at the minute, but basically all the other, it's basically in the green, Arsenal are leading the way for all the other seven or eight teams in the Premier League who have a shot at either winning the title now, and I think that's realistically a conversation, or definitely making it into the Champions League, and it follows obviously Man City's um, loss at home to Brentford on Saturday. So it means that Arsenal are five points clear at the top of the Premier League, that a 2-0 win um, at Wolves, and it makes incredible reading, I think, for Arsenal fans uh, this morning. They're going to be Top of the league for Christmas. I mean, if, unless the bottom totally falls out of it. For, no, they will be. They will no, be. There's no the more league. games. There's no, there's there's no more games. That's the Stevens joke. They were top of Christmas and it's still six weeks till Christmas. Okay, they will be top of the league for um, for Christmas and they'll be, they're five points clear and they have West Ham, I think, on uh, Stevens night and that'll be a London derby and we'll... The, the only slight sort of fly in the ointment for Arsenal is, and maybe for the rest of them, is that the break has come at the wrong time. Like, you know, it's... Momentum is with them. Uh, they're they're seemingly un, unbeatable. Obviously, playing really well. They've you know Odegaard bangs in a couple for them at the end of the weekend, um, and it's a, just a really positive, good news story. And you would like look at it's Man City, right? And does it take them very long to bounce back from the thing? Does it really matter if they were playing again tonight or at the weekend or during the week? They'd probably go out and hammer whoever the hell they were playing anyway. But I do think that any hope that fans have of City not winning the Premier League, no matter what club you're supporting. I do think you would want to see, you'd want to test that out. You'd want to see them out on a Wednesday night or next Saturday. I think teams are looking at Manchester City more this season as a team that they can test and that they can get at and that they can attack. And like Brentford fully deserved to win that game. They had three chances before they even opened the scoring. Uh, you know, they went route one quite a bit and City's defence seemed to struggle with that. And with the exception of Erling Haaland, a lot of these City players aren't at their best. Like Jao Cancelo isn't having anywhere near the impact on games that he had over the last couple of seasons. Uh, Akanji's come in 
at the back and has done well, but it does feel it's a bit away from Diaz and Laporte at their absolute peak. Uh, a lot of these players may well have the World Cup on their mind. Like With the exception of the Manchester Derby, which was one of the great Premier League performances, uh, Phil Foden scored a very good goal at the weekend, but even Guardiola has admitted he's been quite Grealish again with the exception of that game, hasn't quite stepped forward. So I'm not fully convinced that City are all that and will get to close to 100 points this season. So I think there is an opportunity there for Arsenal. And I've been on the Arsenal bandwagon for quite a while. I thought people were way over the top in their criticism in the one game they lost this season against Manchester United where they made a couple of mistakes at the back. But by and large, for an hour of that game, uh, they were the better team. And Granit Xhaka goes off injured very early or he was sick or something very early in that game on Saturday night. Uh, Fabio Vieira comes in and is brilliant. Like the three players be playing behind Gabriel Jesus, one of them always steps up every single day, whether it's Martinelli, Odegaard at the weekend, Saka. Uh, Jesus isn't scoring, but the amount of tackles he won inside his own half to set them away on counter-attacks, he's offering something very different to that team. They're not making many mistakes at the back. They've got a good goalkeeper. Maybe they go and they sign somebody in January and they add a little bit more depth. But right now with a five-point lead, it does feel as though Arsenal are going to be there till the bitter end with this. Who knows what happens post-World Cup? Well, they're going to sign Ronaldo, what Piers Morgan says. (laughs) I I do wonder the mentality of players if they come back. And we don't know what's going to happen over the next month. But if Saka was to miss a penalty again in a World Cup final, does he come back and is he absolutely devastated and that disrupts Arsenal's season? Or if England losing the final is Phil Foden distraught or if they win do they come back and they're too cocky and they're celebrating for the next three months and they're not that worried about Manchester City because they've literally achieved anything greater with England than they'll ever achieve with Manchester City and there's obviously uh, you know 50 players with that sort of mindset whether it's the Brazilian lads or the Argentinian players or does any of that matter and will they all just come back and say Stephen Zane it's like the World Cup never happened yeah, and look at who knows, because the flip of that could easily be... I mean, I don't think England are going to uh, win the World Cup. Um, great news flash there. And I also think City are going to still win the Premier League. It sounds like... I think City, um, I think City are like, still favourites, but I... You would say, we, we've still, gone into every season with what's happened with Liverpool and Manchester City going, you probably need 93, 94 points minimum to have a chance of winning the title. I don't know if that's the case this season. And Arsenal are well on course for that sort of tally. They've only dropped points in two games all season. They've won 12 of 14 matches. So they're setting a real pace right now. And quite often when you look at the best teams in the league, teams sit very, very deep and they try and hold out for a scoreless draw. And against City, that's almost impossible because there are so many talented attacking players they are always going to score. Whereas a lot of the mid-ranking teams now watching them this season feels as though they're willing to have a goal at Manchester City and accept that they might concede but they're trying to score and City's defence isn't as strong as it was with Kyle Walker out injured as well uh, there's definitely an opportunity I think for teams to get at them so I, I, I just don't feel it'll be as straightforward and even the amount of points they're dropping I see people writing today like are Liverpool fully out of it I just don't think I, I think they're not except you couldn't trust Liverpool to go on the sort of run they've gone in previous seasons where they win 12 games or 14 games in a row there's just nothing to suggest that's mm. going to happen but I think City are going to drop a lot more points the other thing is Arsenal and City have to play each other twice uh, in the second half of the season because their game was postponed uh, earlier this year like Arsenal's fixture list you touched like it's, it's a difficult fixture list when they come back uh, West Ham and Stevens Day then they go to Brighton then Newcastle Tottenham Manchester United mm. three game run tough, tough run of games yeah, and I mean, like, I don't know, look, from a city point of view, it's, 
obviously a lot of this is based off one game is the thing and even at that they're obviously pushing for the winner against Brentford and they get caught in the, a brilliant counter-attack absolutely who's that player that broke down the left-hand side brilliant a brilliant break at pace catches them totally on the hop even for all that City's back four gets set get perfectly set and uh, Brentford still managed to score which was a slight surprise it was only on the replay when I looked at the back four I realised that one of the centre-backs was Erling Haaland um, mm. which is probably I mean a great sort of uh, indictment of him as a player and his ability to get back although he seems to have been he got injured somehow did he between like full time in that game and then not been able to come over here again for the kids listening in the car who are looking forward to going to Lansdowne Road on Thursday night to see Erling Haaland that's bad news for you kids Uh, the RTE promo for that uh, they went all I don't know if you saw this over the weekend they're obviously going to have to change it which was basically Ireland are taking on Erling Erling Haaland and some other guys it's like if I'm Martin Odegaard, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm kind of better than anybody in your team. Maybe show me a little bit of respect. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. thing with City is it's not just one game because the match before that, they need a 95th minute penalty at home against Fulham to win that game. Mm-hmm. Like the Leicester game was a very tight match. A couple of weeks before that, Liverpool beat them. So the break is probably coming at a good time for Manchester City. Mm. Right. Top of the performance rankings this morning, uh, Nathan, are the FAI Cup winners, Derry City. And congratulations to everybody involved in Derry. Obviously, a big win for them over the weekend in every regard. It's uh, um, a match that has tended to be really high on drama over the last 10, 12 years and even beyond that. Extra time, penalties, really tight scorelines. But this was a very disappointing finish to the season, obviously, for for Shelburne. But for Derry, uh, certainly, obviously, came up a small bit short in the league. uh, Didn't finish the last few games strongly. And maybe that was one of the biggest question marks heading into the game yesterday. That they was at one point from nine over the last few weeks at a point where they needed to keep the pressure um, obviously on at the top but there is 25 points uh, between Derry and Shelburne in the league and that was abundantly clear um, in the game yesterday it's the biggest ever FAI Cup uh, final winning margin um, and as I said a competition with such a reputation for tight games um, and they conceded within the first 20 minutes and that was I sort of always meant I think from the way that Shelburne would have approached the game uh, knowing that Derry City were going to control the ball chances were going to be few they needed to keep it tight at the back that I think conceding that early um, was ultimately the uh, death knell for that Shelburne team and like Damien Duff obviously is a big part of the storyline around this it was so interesting to see and it wasn't the first time that you've heard Damien Duff talk about so passionately about his involvement with uh, Shells and what it means to him like for a player who's achieved what he's achieved in his career he's still talking about like um, you know, what, 10 foot tall, walking into the Aviva, it was like the most important game in his career, I think he might have, might have said, or something along those lines. Uh, he said afterwards, I'll be at the FAI, FAI Cup final out till the day I die, whether that's on the touchline or not. Um, there's obviously a talk of a takeover at Shelburne, and Lee. Really interesting to see if there is a takeover and he's able to bring in some quality because, you know, he doesn't, he speaks about, he speaks really respectfully about the players that he has, but you still understand that they're, it's a young squad and they're not to the level that he'd like to be working with. So it'll be interesting to see if he does get the pieces of the jigsaw that he's actually happy with, what type of manager he is. But it must have been very... Um, it was very clearly very disappointing. Oh, they were huge. They didn't have a single shot on target in the entire game. And he mentioned that aftermatch that the players have to go in and look at themselves in the mirror now after this and realise that they turned up in cup final day and they didn't perform. 
and that's a difficult thing for any sports person and for pretty much to be across the team now Derry were very good it sort of fitted in with a lot of the predictions that if Derry got the first goal they could run a riot and they did and for them now it is looking up because while it was 13 points between themselves and Shamrock Rovers it could have been very very different they just drew way too many games particularly at home uh, over the course of the season there wasn't that big a gap and they have an owner with a lot of money to invest Uh, they have some good young players have got a lot of experience like they brought brilliantly in getting Michael Duffy uh, up and getting Patrick McElhenney up like two of the best players in the league and we don't really know what's going to happen with Shamrock Rovers and what players they're going to bring in so it's going to be a fascinating transfer window to see if Derry can close that gap further and you feel they will that it's going to be between these two next season Andy Lyons is leaving Shamrock Rovers like, will Neil Ferrugia still be there they've got a a lot of players in their late 20s early 30s uh, so first cup final in what a decade for Derry they have won the league for over a quarter of a century so yeah it's uh, it's good for the league if there's two teams competing and it does feel as though Derry are going to be in this for the long haul like for Rory Higgins first season in charge uh, big big achievement you know as commentating on a game yesterday with me Perth and Roy Higgins was uh, his assistant and then he went off with Ireland and he could have probably stayed in that nice gig with Stephen Kenny for another while uh, but wanted his hometown job and all the pressure that came with that and he's done brilliantly Yeah and I think uh, even from uh, same with Duff obviously two uh, managers in their first year <clears throat> it's incredible in some ways that it's still uh, Duff's uh, first year he said um, he said I know uh, he was talking about like the you know the way you just sort of there are a lot. There are a lot of players who've achieved what he's achieved in his career. Will come into that job and try to trade off <clears throat> that as their. Uh, that's their currency. Whereas actually, he's totally obsessed by this thing. It's incredible. He said, "I know Derry City better than I know my wife and my kids." He's so um, obsessive about it and ambitious. I want to build Rome in a day. He said afterwards, like it's just. Um, it's really impressive to watch him. I say, and he's very clearly committed to it, like to the point where. You could see him managing Shelburne for the next ten years. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the players come in that actually end up ending uh, Damien Duff's career with Shelburne in terms of he gets a thirst for uh, management and ends up getting you know hauled off somewhere else, and he'll be in tears as he, as he leaves Shelburne. Who knows what happens? But certainly, listening to him now, I don't want to be um, down on Shelburne fans this morning, kicking them while they're down. Um, but uh, you do feel as if he's uh, he's got management in his blood and it's going to be for a while. We should mention as well, obviously, there was trouble in the stands yesterday. It was um, flares thrown onto the pitch and then Shelburne fans seemed to be fighting each other. Uh, it was a slightly bizarre scenario that happened at one of the ends and um, I'm sure we haven't heard the end of it, but uh, ugly enough scenes, it must be said. You don't like to see it, particularly on a, a day like that where it was one of the biggest ever attendances at an FAI, FAI Cup final. Uh, disappointing to see, but great day for Derry City. None of them turned up at a hurl, though. No, that is true. That is true. That is something we might touch on a little bit later, yeah. We'll, we'll come back uh, to that, what happened at Parnell Park as well. Good job, Adrian. Well done. Debut. Thank you. All right. So a reminder that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Each week we're giving one lucky viewer a €100 Euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out at Off The Ball on Twitter. Just like and retweet our Brayburn competition post and you are in that draw. Brayburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road. Available at Apple Green today. So we're going to be back right after this. Daniel Harris for reaction to that Ronaldo interview plus the rest of the Premier League action over the weekend. You're welcome back. It is Monday morning's OTB AM. It's just gone 20 past 8. Nathan and Adrian with you this morning. And Daniel Harris is on the line. Good morning, Daniel. Hello. Are you feeling betrayed? <laughs> what is he feeling no. betrayed about? 
The only thing I could possibly have felt betrayed about was when United actually resigned Ronaldo. <laughs> but because um, I felt that was a betrayal of any kind of decency that the club should have. But obviously, I know that football and United don't work like that. But the extent of the excitement about a bloke I don't respect talking to another bloke I don't respect talking about stuff I don't care about is not something that I find particularly resonant. And other people might disagree, but talking about Ronaldo and United is almost talking about, like talking about Billy Meredith relevance to United or Jack Rowley. Ronaldo is finished and nothing can stop, as Bob Marley said, none of them can stop the time. Well, he, he may be finished, but he's still a Manchester United player earning about half a million pounds a week. And he is still the player who dominates the back pages because an interview like this uh, will resonate not just around English football, but probably around the world because he is such a global superstar, rightly or wrongly. If you get into what he was actually saying, will many Manchester United supporters take issue with the comments about how the club has stagnated since Alex Ferguson left? I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I can only speak for myself and I can tell you about what people I speak to say. Um, no one doubts the fact that United have not been good since Fergie, since Fergie retired. I, I don't think anyone would dispute that. The point is that the point is that Ronaldo saying that stuff is not really what he's talking about. Ronaldo's talking about himself because he's upset that he's not getting picked. He's talking about the disrespect to him. And it might be true that United haven't updated their equipment in the in the changing room or around Carrington or whatever, but that isn't why United are crap and it has been crap. And it's also not why United are now getting good again. And United are getting good again and they've left him behind and time has left him behind in the way that it does to all of us. I mean... Is, is, there, uh, not a, is there not a link between all of that and what happens on the pitch that the investment that is needed to make sure the best most talented players in the world have the best of everything around them there's a culture mindset around that that sums up why Manchester United have struggled over the last decade and yes if the jacuzzi isn't the latest model every season should players get upset but it does point to a wider issue at the club that they've sure. sort of been accepting second best no, no one, no one with any brain would dispute that. But it's Ronaldo. No one's saying Ronaldo's wrong about some of those things. I mean, we don't have exact, precise knowledge, as you say, of the brand of jacuzzi that they might have. But yeah, it would not be surprising to me. The Glazers scrimp on everything. Why would they not be scrimping on that stuff as well? But the reason why United aren't where they are is much more to do with the, the investment in the playing side and having the whole club run by Ed Woodward, who's not a football guy, and constantly appointing the wrong managers. And if you were constantly appointing the right managers and constantly investing properly in the actual on-pitch stuff and buying the right players and having the right staff picking the right players, then the the peripheral activities, like whether they have the best equipment, would be a lot less significant. And anyway, I don't really think Ronaldo cares about that stuff. I think Ronaldo cares about the fact that he's not getting picked and the manager is right not to pick him. And I think actually by saying all this stuff, in some ways he's done United a favour because... He's making his position untenable. So I think that Ronaldo has been picked for more games this season than he should have been picked. And by making his position untenable, Ten Hag has the political capital to never pick him again. And I think that is what United need to move away from Ronaldo and to move away from decisions that are not necessarily to do with taking the club forward. So uh, in a way, I was quite pleased to read all this stuff because it was Ronaldo showing himself up for the brat that he is and making it much easier for United to get rid of him, cancel his contract, and spend the money on a player who'll be more useful. That has to happen, I presume. Now he's probably played his last game for United, Daniel? Uh, I hope so. 
do you think that's how it'll play out? Are the club just going to say, listen, this has been unacceptable, you're suspended? How does this, what happens from the club point of view as they sit down this morning, like ourselves, to try and digest this stuff? Um, I mean, Ten, Ten Hag presumably would be happy to lose Ronaldo because he doesn't pick him in his best teams in the generally in the games that he really needs to win. I think Ronaldo scored one goal this season. Uh, if you look at United's best performances this season, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, the one of the common factors is no Ronaldo. So I imagine the club, the suits at the club, will be unhappy with what he said about the way they've been doing the job. Then because the, the, ne- the next level down under the Glazers are now football people like someone like Darren Fletcher. Darren Fletcher, I don't imagine, is going to be pleased to see this and is someone who, I mean, he played with Ronaldo, but the United that Darren Fletcher played for, the United that Darren Fletcher is trying to create now, does not include or involve behaviour like this. So my guess is that they'll try and, they, they will just cancel his contract that will enable the club to save whatever obscene wedge of money they've been paying Ronaldo and then do something useful with it and might give Ronaldo scope to go somewhere else because no one will have to pay for anything. But the problem Ronaldo has is the problem Ronaldo had in the summer is everyone knows he's washed and no one wants him. So that will hopefully now become Ronaldo's problem and not United's problem. Football obviously moves pretty quickly, but a week ago, Manchester United were beaten 3-1 by Aston Villa and Cristiano Ronaldo was the captain. And Ten Hag is getting a lot of credit for how he's handled the situation. I'm just wondering how he went from a scenario of... Uh, leaving the ground early in pre-season, refusing to come on as a substitute against Tottenham, leaving the ground before the end of the game. And within three weeks of that, he's the captain of the club. Did Ten Hag make a mistake last week? Yeah, I thought so. I, I mean, I, I thought so. I, I wouldn't have done that. I thought, that. I thought, yeah, that was a mistake. But it wasn't a massive mistake, and he explained why he did it, given the players that weren't available and the players that were available. But I don't think that in the round it's going to is very significant at all. You know, I lost that game. They didn't lose that game because Ronaldo was the captain. I don't think Ronaldo being in the side that day was helpful to them trying to win the game. But when it's looked back at, I think on, on the whole, Ten Hag has done a pretty good job of dealing with an explosive, potentially explosive situation because United are a much better team now than they were when Ten Hag took over. They've got some level of mentality back. They're starting to get the late goals back. They're quite a likeable team now. And so I wouldn't, when I was trying to look at how Ten Hag was doing, I wouldn't look specifically about Ronaldo, the Ronaldo situation, never mind one decision that he made with regards to Ronaldo. I'd look at where United were when Ten Hag arrived and I'd look at where United are now and say, yeah, he's doing a pretty good job and people who watch the club are feeling hopeful about it. The people who watch the club professionally can see what's going on. The people, players that play for the club are saying the whole atmosphere around the club has changed and you can see that on the pitch. So rather than try and pinpoint, well, he shouldn't have made Ronaldo captain, I would say, are United a hell of a lot better now than they were in August? And the answer from me, and I think everyone else, is a resounding yes. So then that's fine. Uh, Ruminate on YouTube said, Ronaldo's right. Old Trafford has no screens for replays. It's 2023. No! Come on. Why don't they buy new stuff? I think Ronaldo's actually done pretty well that there are no screens for replays, <laughs> given the state of his performance. <laughs> what what um, looking at the Fulham game yesterday and uh, Jermaine Defoe was making the point afterwards like that United obviously had created uh, like a lot of good chances sort of uh, two and ones two and twos three and threes uh, good chances to get shots away um, they were pretty goal, goal shy up to a point obviously got it done at the end um, with a brilliant goal but um, 
is Ronaldo twenty twenty two in a position to bury some of those? Like, if you look at it from a remove it from the no. two people that you're talking about. Okay, so, so like the question is, you know, I know there's not many people, not not so many people on the train of this guy actually is still what we need, right? But like, I'm just trying to ask the question or tease out if he's on that pitch yesterday, is he in a position to bury some of those? Uh, I, I think that it's funny you just see him miss a chance every time he's had chances this season almost every time he's missed them he scored once it was a really good goal but every other chance he's had he's missed so I don't think it's that and also you see some of the chances that are missed rather than think Ronaldo would have scored that I think Ronaldo wouldn't have been there to miss that yeah. because he doesn't have the level of dynamism anymore it's, it's gone even, even now he's a worse player now than he was last season so, so he's, he's not a 20 goal striker anymore is, is that the you know, because that's, that's the thing that people say, well, listen, he's scoring 20 goals, 22 goals a season. That's what we need. Well, the Europa League games have probably disproved that because they felt almost like testimonials where Manchester United players were just trying to lay it on a plate for him out of charity to get him another goal. Yeah. And he just kept missing and missing and missing. And he's, and he's still missing. It, 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 happen, it happens to everyone. I mean, we, it happens to us, not in the same way. I remember watching Rio Ferdinand play and saying to the mate I was with, I think Rio might be past it. And then realising that we're roughly ages and thinking, oh, this is past it for him. What am I? Um, it, ha- it happens to all of us. And Ronaldo cannot stop the time. And he has lost the ability even to finish simple chances because I, d- I don't know why. I mean, but he's not the player that he was. I thought and think that being an impact sub for this United would be pretty good for him and the best that he's doing. That would be a pretty good deal to get paid obscene money to be the kind of father figure to an, to a young side who are improving and he could stick around. If I had been him, I'd be thinking, okay, I might be able to get another year on top of that if that's what I'm prepared to do. He's not prepared to do that. That's fine. He's allowed to do that. He's also allowed to say what he wants. But in him being allowed to say what he wants, we're allowed to say what we think about him saying what he wants. And I think he's made himself out to be a spoiled brat with absolutely no conception of reality. And good luck to him. Bye. Uh, they do have a new superstar now, Alejandro Garnacho, uh, with... A brilliant finish. The pace he showed. Uh, now, at the Fulham defender, it was uh, remarkable how much ground was caught up in the space of uh, three seconds there, and then just such a beautiful finish as well. Uh, without putting too much pressure on his shoulders, the success of Manchester United over the next four or five years, you'll be able to read a lot into it, into how they helped this young player develop. If you look at a Marcus Rashford and an Anthony Martial who's burst onto the scene in similar, maybe even more explosive fashion, and we thought we're going to go on and dominate the English game. And here we are in 2022, and Martial is nowhere near the French squad, and Rashford is just about making the England squad, and have been so inconsistent that United need to have the framework in place that a Garnacho can blossom now over the next four or five years. Uh, yeah, and those guys, Martial and Rashford, they're different characters, I think. Rashford seems to be a much more driven, competitive individual, whereas Martial seems someone who's got to where he got to just on pure talent. And he's now at that crossroads in his career where it's can he... And Ten Hag has said this a few times about him. Ten Hag really likes him as a player. And he fits. There's no United don't have a centre-forward like Martial. And having Martial on the team elevates United. But Ten Hag said he's got all the talent. It's up to him. Does he have the drive? Can he find the drive within himself to be the kind of player that means he plays for United regularly? Rashford's a little bit different. But both those players, they played under so many different managers and so many different styles with so many other crap players not playing well that they found it difficult to develop because they haven't had that consistency of managerial instruction, consistency of coaching, quality of coaching, quality of teammates that now that now they have. So we're going to see with them. My suspicion with Rashford is that 
he probably is as good a rotation player and first change as it's possible to get inside that wins the big pots. I'm not sure he's going to be quite good enough to be to be that guy who makes things happen in a side that seriously challenges for the league in the Champions League. But I say we'll give him a year under Ten Hag and we'll see how that goes. Garnacho is much too early to say, but I agree with I agree with your point about that absolutely shocking pace that he has, where it's almost impossible to believe he got from A to B so quickly. Mm. So some players have that kind of gradual pace where they take them a while to get going. He has incredible acceleration. He's someone who stamps on the gas rather than eases onto the gas. And what I really like about him is at the end of it, he has the composure to do something quite delicate, despite the fact that he's moving so quickly. And also he knows yesterday it's the last kick of the game. And one of the things I really liked about Garnacho, even in midweek, was that I think before the third goal against Villa, the ball came to him and he didn't stop to think about what he was doing. He just punched a really simple but firm hard, I call it a Roy Keane pass. The, the, the right pass hit at the right pace that then that then yields a goal. And that is, that is very promising. Uh, we've got excited about lots of young players who've done stuff before who weren't quite good enough. But you can see that they're really excited about Garnacho. They know that all the technical aspects are in place and some of the mental aspects are in place as well. I, I think that he's got the drive and he's got the confidence. It's about finding the balance. And I say this quite a lot. I'm sure I must have said it to you guys over the last few years that I know what an idiot I was at his age without the aggravating factors of talent, um, talent, fame and money. So for someone to behave like a bit of an idiot sometimes when they're young is understandable, but he's got good people telling him what to do. He's got good professionals around him. So he's got a really good chance of becoming an excellent footballer. I wouldn't like to see the CCTV footage of Midas nightclub in Ballyhonest when I was 18. I can tell you that much. <laughs> People digging through the archives as we speak. Wouldn't, wouldn't be pretty for anybody. Uh, I think Noel Cahill sums it up on uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo say that United are stuck in the past, but signing him was United living in the past. He can't have it both ways. And that probably is correct that at the time, a healthy dose sort of nostalgia of. felt is, is it, like what Manchester United needed, but they couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, sort of. I felt like they... I understand that. At the time, I thought he was just going to be an upgrade on Cavani as the as a striker to have, who would be helpful to have around. And it turned out... I thought it turned out to be the case because if you took Ronaldo away from United last season, they would not be even in this season's Europa League. He was... He wasn't. He was too slow, and he was probably not a good attitude, and not necessarily good for the rest of the players. But if United had not signed him, and it wasn't Ronaldo or another centre forward; it was Ronaldo or no one. I think last season would have been actually even worse than it was. So, I can see why you would make that point that it was sign of kind of a nostalgic tribute act, tribute act, almost like signing like the, the kind of tribute act of Ronaldo, but he was just a tribute act to himself. But if that signing hadn't have happened, last season would have been even more unbearable than it was. Daniel, thank you as always. No worries. Have a good day, everyone. Cheers. Uh, Daniel Harris there on Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, a lot of people getting in touch on this. Garnacho, that Garnacho goal, like, the desire, the, what's one thing, like, the desire that, you mm. know, as, I think as Manchester United fan this morning, it's hard not to get, uh, which I'm not, by the way, but if you were, it's a, it would be hard to not get uber excited about this guy. I don't know that, uh, like, sports fans, football fans, not to get very carried away, but uh, moments, and who knows if he can back that up. But just the desire to play that one, two, to get the end of it, the execution was perfect. Like you said, the pace on him to get from A to B so quickly, and the calmness of the finish, and there's obviously all the comparisons with goals that Ronaldo has scored, scored before. There's the Messi goal celebration after doing the Ronaldo goal celebration, the sleeping, whatever the hell it is, the sleeping thing that whatever Ronaldo's, um, I'm at rest, or maybe not, uh, celebration that he does, and then the jersey that he holds aloft. But 
of quality of the goal like it's just something that United fans are crying out for Ah, the acceleration that Daniel touched on there. I don't know, was it was it Robinson or Reed who was the fullback? But it didn't look possible that he could it gain so possible. much ground. Not yeah. just to, to to get a little topo, but he was actually so far in front of him by the time he was able to compose himself and the finish then. It was one of those great goals as well. I always think the best goals in football are when the game is over. Yeah. So the game, you're just waiting yeah. for the referee's whistle. There was no chance anyone was going to score yeah. in that sort of 30-second period. Fulham were delighted with themselves. Harder in point, and then out of absolutely nothing. And to squeeze it past the keeper from that angle, it looked like an impossible. Like all the replays, you're like, "Oh, the keeper's going to get to it this time, surely." Mm. Like it was just a perfect uh, execution. Uh, player to be incredibly excited about, I think. Ronaldo and Manchester United mirror images of each other, says Bobby Dwyer. Still think they're giants in the game, but both of them are living in the past. These two egos colliding was always going to be a disaster. Was that us on a Monday morning or was that Ronaldo and Manchester United? <laughs> well, I did see somebody talking about, Jesus, look at the ego on this guy earlier on. And I was like, oh, Nathan? Or who are we talking about? Brandon Pang says, Manchester United will sign another World Cup winner in January and most would forget about the jacuzzi technology. I think the jacuzzi technology is front and centre. I'm not, are you a jacuzzi man? Uh, if I had one in my I'm, own I'm house, yeah. I might. Well, but, you know, if you go to the gym and there's a jacuzzi, I'm not, I'm never if you had sure. one in your own house, you better be using it. Well, because, uh, I think most people who have them in their own house never bothered. Like, you right. get it and they use it for three months. Is, what's the difference between a jacuzzi and a hot tub? It's a great question. I'm, I'm not sure. Is there Are there health benefits to a jacuzzi that aren't there in a... Jacuzzi is a brand. brand. Oh, oh, who knew? Oh, Cameron. Well done, Cameron. There's a man who knows his hot tubs and his jacuzzis. <laughs> wow. Um, so the one you get in Aldi, is that a hot, that's a hot tub, not a jacuzzi. Would you rather have a hot tub or a, or a cold um, dip out your back? <laughs> Sorry, a cold dip out. My you know, back. like you know, there's a trend I lived now. In for people, or for, well, no, no, there's a trend now. Walk down there's the a trend now for people. You don't, you don't need to live in Dalky. You could have like a, an old bath out your back, filled with ice and cold water. There's it a trend is. now for people to have. I hear. For the, oh yeah, it's really good for you. I've a, I've a cold shower almost every morning. What? I I I I, I uh, have a warm shower and then I. At, for about a minute at the end run the uh, cold tap on full why would you do that it's it's good for loads of reasons what it's give me, give um, me five gives you shiny hair <laughs> which is not the reason <laughs> I do. it gives you a real like uh, boost of energy because it wakes you up it's a very good mindfulness thing because you really can't think about it. you know when you're in the shower you're thinking about all sorts of stuff right like the you get so creative blah 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 but you can't think about anything else other than the cold water so it's a real sort of mindfulness technique it's supposed to be very good for your mental health very good for your um General well-being and gives you shiny hair. I don't know if I mentioned that. Well, well, your hair is <laughs> looking particularly. Would shiny you? Would you? Morning. Would you give it a go? Uh, I've never tried it. I, it just feels like unnecessary pain to cause yourself. Try it for try it for a minute every morning for a week. Well, Let's like most you people, you know, when you're in the shower and somebody turns on the water somewhere else and it goes automatically cold yeah. and you're really angry for the 30 seconds that someone would you do are, such a thing. You are, but this is you deciding. I'm taking control of this thing. Know, gonna, just know. before you wrap up, Nathan, just give that a bash. I mean, I'm interested in Alan Quinlan's thoughts on this. Morning, Quinny. Quinny in a cold shower, eh? Well, I'm used to I, loads of ice baths when we were playing, so... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, be a, I wouldn't be a cold shower man. On occasions, if I... If it's warm in the summer and uh, I do a bit of a workout, yeah, I would jump under a cold shower. But Adrian's right about the benefits of it. I know some people who do have cold showers fairly regularly. It's the way forward, Quinny. It's hard to know where, it's it's hard to know where else we can go with this conversation. Ed's going to report back to us in a week after I he's will, given it a I go. will, I will. Uh, most definitely. Uh, so... Ma- ma- Maybe the Irish team should have had a cold shower before the game. Why should they have had a cold shower, Quinny? What were your thoughts on the performance? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Look, I think it was. Uh, it was. 
it was pretty flat. Um, Fiji obviously made it difficult for Ireland, but um, a lot of mistakes. And I wouldn't get over overly negative on it, um, even though you. I, it's it, it wasn't it wasn't kind of one of those ones. Maybe everybody went to the Aviva on Saturday expecting kind of a one sided high scoring performance from the Irish team, but. Um, I think, uh, you know, the last time we played him in 2017, we only won by three points, 23-20, and um, maybe the expectation has gone pretty high again. So, um, just, I think the nature of the game for both sides, we, we saw glimpses of Fiji's outstanding brilliance and what they can do, uh, particularly for, with that first try um, from Rovovo. Uh, it was an incredible try. and uh, But Ireland, yeah, underwhelming was the word I heard used at the press conference, and, and that's the way it felt. When you were in with us last Monday, I was questioning how much Andy Farrell would actually read into the A performance against uh, New Zealand Day, that, you know, it's a sort of team thrown together, and while individuals may not have stood up, maybe you would have learned certain things. This was obviously different because he did put out an awful lot of frontline players, like the fact that Tyke Furlong was captaining the team, uh, Robbie Henshaw back in and fit again, Jameson Gibson Park getting the start. Were there players who will feel they've really missed an opportunity a year away from the World Cup that may not get that opportunity again? No, I think I don't think they'll be be harshly judged. I think they'll be frustrated and they'll be honest with with the performance. Um, obviously, the more regular starters, I think there was probably six or seven of them, wasn't there? Um, nine changes from the the starting team against South Africa, so that's that's a good bit of change. And basically, what you got is that bit of rust that. Sometimes um, you get at the start of the Six Nations with international teams or in these periods um, of November internationals because you know they haven't played games for a while together. They just have a short training block of maybe um, a week and a half, two weeks to get ready. So you're always uh, nervous and, and sceptical about how you'll hit the ground running. So Ireland, obviously with the, with the team against South Africa, um, hit the ground running last week, and they were they were really sharp in in most things. Still, a couple of things that they could be better at, uh, but this team weren't able to do it. And that sometimes that comes down to experience and and obviously a bit of quality as well and confidence. Probably confidence is something we, um, that's associated with this because you know it's a big it's a big stage for a number of players and um, you know so I wouldn't be kind of failing anybody as regards the test um, I just think collectively they were a little bit off that and for some of the players who probably played in the A game as well this as you say was an opportunity and um, Nick Timoney played well Treadwell played well um, Jeremy Lockman did well um, you know but nobody kind of uh, really kind of caught the eye to the point that you'd say, God, they've got to be on the team now against Australia. They have to be. You have to put them in there. So um, one of those ones that was just a little bit frustrating, I think the one o'clock kickoff as well and the crowd really, you know, the I think it, it kind of always frustrated me as a player that, you know, you've you, you, there's an expectation that you've got to give the crowd something to get them going. It's probably a fact, but... I think the crowd have got to play their part as well. And um, there was a bit of a jovial atmosphere before the game and um, not, 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 uh, and that expectation was probably in the crowd. So they never really got going either. So it was, it, and look, the nature of the game was so stop-start. What are you grinning about? Ah, come on, it's an international test match. It's one o'clock. Surely it shouldn't matter that much what time it starts. 
Just be up for it. Some of these lads, it's one of yeah. the biggest games of their career. Ah, well, I would have played better if it was 8 o'clock on the Saturday evening, lads. Wasn't there also, like, just to take on your point, Quinny, about the... So, like, th- look, the, everybody leaves it. It was a bit of a flat game. It was a very stop-start. There was a lot of fairly error-strewn, which didn't... Like, the Mexican wave kicks in and everybody's sort of slightly distracted by all that nonsense. But, like, if you're Andy Farrell stepping away from it, you mentioned three names earlier on, Timoney, um, Lockman, uh, Treadwell, and maybe include Jimmy O'Brien with another uh, bunch of uh, full test minutes under his belt. Like, when you step away from all that in terms of maybe not, like, starting World Cup players, but certainly in terms of a 23 or a World Cup squad... The likes of Timoney now is starting to put his name down as a starting to put his hand up as a I'm I'm here put me in. Well, he has done for the last couple of years, and just on on uh, I, I agree with Nathan. You know, you have to be up for these games, these one o'clock games. I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm just saying it didn't help with the crowd and stuff like that. That you know that they weren't kind of pumping for a half five kickoff. Um, we often give out about. Uh, well, a lot of people give out about um, you know the alcohol situation in the Aviva and people in and out for drinks and and stuff. But um, well, you were the one that started you know, all that, Quinny, of course. I did, yeah, yeah, I did many years ago, and and it is frustrating. But um, you know, I'm just saying that when the when a game becomes very stop start, and it is that early, I think it's just flat. People are expecting something to happen, and and. You know, I played in those games, those one o'clock games away in France, where it's it's you're, you're away with no fans, maybe a very small number of fans over there. Um, so it is you've got it, and I, I I totally get the point that Nathan is saying. You have to generate your own kind of emotion and your own uh, being up for it. Um, but and Ireland didn't do that for some reasons. But it can happen in sports. You know, things start to go wrong, and um, the opposition obviously <laughs> made it difficult. They were very ill-disciplined. Um, they were very competitive, which sometimes you don't expect them to be so aggressive at the breakdown and trying to turn the ball over. Um, and uh, they give away a lot of penalties. So there was a lot of stop start to it. But um, I think if you look at if you look at where Ireland are at the moment, I think they're trying to develop that depth. And, um, you know, Timoney's been in the mix for the last kind of two, two and a half years, three years. And he's a very good player, plays very well for Ulster. The step up sometimes, um, it takes a little bit of time for players to get used to it. He's well able for the physicality. I think he and Prendergast coming off the bench as well was was an important one. And Jack Crowley. So there's lo- there's there's po- always positives. in, um, And they won the game. They scored five tries. I think Ireland played to their strengths with, um, and had to do that. I think I was hoping for probably the last 20 minutes, 25 minutes of that second half that Ireland would start to click a little bit more. And, you know, get a few tries and, and and stretch out the scoreboard a little bit. But it didn't happen. But um, if you're South Africa and you look at their A-team being beaten by Munster last week, um, are they in a worse position than we are? You know, we you know this team beat, beat Fiji and uh, it wasn't a great performance. But, um, again, it's something to not get too, too concerned about. I think when you make that many ga- uh, changes in, in a team. Um, but I do think when they look at this harshly, and I like the fact that Andy Farrell was pretty honest and tight furlough when they came out, I think they'll, they'll, they'll judge themselves pretty harshly here um, and, and try and fix situations and uh, – Particularly their, their their accuracy when they got in uh, into the Fiji in 22. Too many times they kind of turned the ball over or, or gave poor passes. So, um, 
Yeah, it was um, one of those games that uh, it was difficult probably to watch for people. At the back row is also always going to be a position where there's a, a lot of depth and Nick Timoney seems to have done himself no harm at all over the last couple of weeks. Jack Conan, where is he in his career right now? He comes back from the lines. You expect him to kick on from there, been a starting line. I know he's had a lot of injuries, uh, but it does feel as though he probably hasn't had the boost and the bounce out of that that you would have expected. Yeah, and it happens, um, Nathan. It can happen players who go away in the Lions tour. Um, sometimes it's it's that kind of incredible high and um, you've got to find that bit of form again, that bit of hunger, um, maybe push yourself a little bit harder. So I'm not saying that, that Jack Conner is not pushing himself, but it, it can happen players. You know, David Wallace was on a, a Lions tour in 2001 in Australia and he came back and, you know, a couple of months, two months after he's, he was playing with Gary Owen for, for a couple of months because um, he wasn't getting picked for Munster. I think Dennis Leamy came on the scene and it can happen players. Um, it's hard for players to to kind of keep that high consistently uh, and that's what makes makes the challenge of that difficult. So obviously Peter Romani's form um, in the in the in the latter part of the Six Nations, what he brings in the line-out to that Irish line-out, particularly with winning the ball, but also pressure on the opposition defence um, it kind of pushed Jack Conan to to, uh, to 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 the bench really and w- w- being respectful to Jack Conan I think uh, uh, to both players I think Jack Conan coming off the bench probably brings that bit of um, energy and, and kind of ball carrying ability that's probably where his strength is over Peters and Peters is obviously at the breakdown and the line out um, so he's kind of got himself pigeonholed into that that bench spot. Um, he won't be pleased with that. Um, and you know, again, Saturday is a, is a game that's you know, in in games like last Saturday, players have got to really get a nine or out of ten performance to really catch the eye. Nobody really did uh, get that performance that would say this guy deserves and needs to be put back on on the senior team. So. Um, they have another chance next week, and obviously you've got to play consistently well with your perform with your province. But um, and it's not a case of Jack Conan; his performances have dropped back to a to an alarming level. It, they haven't. I think he admitted he had a dip in the form last year himself. I still think he's um, still playing at a very high level and still a very important part of that twenty three. Uh, Joey Carberry got the start, and there was a lot of experience around him as well. Did Andy Farrell try and have Ireland playing differently with with Carberry at ten as compared to Sexton, or was he trying to get him to do Sexton-like things? I don't think he was trying to get him to do anything different. I think it's down to the individuals and their strengths, and uh, probably, you know, obviously it's well documented how d- that dominance and confidence that Johnny Sexton has, and that ability to drive people around him. Joey's Carberry is not as vocal. Um, I still think this is probably more of a, an area for Mike Cass in the attack. Um, and there's different personnel there. Robbie Sorry, just on the, him not being vocal, because I think you touched on this earlier as well, Adrian. It was, it was obviously quite maybe noticeable, and maybe you just zone in on it so much with Sexton because it's non-stop. Is that something he needs to work on? Probably. And it's look, it's it's being vocal is probably something that's uh, taken out of context a bit I think it's his body language Johnny Sexton it's so on it all the time and he's so involved and that's the type of character he is um, 
obviously Joey Carberry he's, he's talking to players around him calling moves stuff like that you have to as a fly half but I just think it may be the body language and stuff like that but they're not like that I think they're not like for like um, in the way they played or um, Sexton is so confrontational with his carries and Joey Carberry did um, you know the, the cohesion of of um, that you would like wasn't there at times and, and Fiji were shooting players out of the line um, I think the concern again Nathan is the attack when and this is probably jumping forward when, when they were down to 13 players um, okay Matt Hansen gets to try but I just didn't think we should when we looked like a team that really looked up and knew where the space was and didn't didn't uh, capitalise on that. But um, again, it's one of those ones that uh, we're kind of talking about Joey Carberry and saying that, um, you know, you'd love this dominant pack in front of him and him being really, really dominant. Um, but Ireland didn't get those kind of outcomes that they wanted from the game on Saturday. Um, the, the, the only kind of scenario that that was never in doubt, was the result really. Um, there was no real, I suppose, when there was one score in it um, in that second half, yeah, people were saying, you want to kick on and get the next couple of scores and it never really materialised. So, obviously, he got a big knock as well, Joey Carberry. So, whether he'll be on the bench or available next week because um, he would have had a, a head injury assessment as well. So, um, not a great outcome there for him. But I think... Could you find fault in his performance? Probably a little bit. I, I, and it look it was down. It was probably the same as every player. They looked a bit flat. They looked a little bit lethargic, and I don't know why. And Andy Farrell didn't know why after the game. But sometimes that happens with sporting teams, and um, maybe lacked a little bit of leadership to grab hold of the thing and kind of get that spark on. It never really happened for all the players. Uh, Quinny, we have two comments in here on YouTube that I want to bring you by way of the next topic in relation to uh, South Africa. LB saying, uh, South African viewer, and good morning to you. Boxer in a great position, lost to the top two sides by a score away from home while it's not necessarily playing to our potential. Much more to come from the box. And then Danny Mack says, uh, South Africa, my favourites of the World Cup, major depth to their squad. What's uh, What with the French technology um, uh, for a decision that went against them? So the Razzie Erasmus stuff, I don't know if you've been uh, following that on Twitter, but he's been back out again and he's had more stuff to to say is he there's two sides to it is he like is he right I suppose number one is he should, is this exactly what he should be doing out sort of getting in front of the message and, and putting across that South African side or is he beginning to lose the respect of the international rugby fraternity I think if you look at the comments online Adrian he's starting to lose the, lose the public a little bit um even some South Africans, and uh, I, I found that interesting that they were well, not turning on him, but don't agree that it, I think it's too a little bit too much. There was a number of videos again after the game in France at the weekend. I just think it's a bit of a, as I said to you many times, many many parts. One side of me really thinks this is is great, and I love the the charisma and the 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 character and. Um, but I just think he's pushing it a little bit now and he's going to get himself in trouble again. Yeah, He's probably heaping more pressure, actually. This is going to start having a negative effect on his team now because I think referees um, will start to really kind of circle the wagons themselves and try and protect and help each other. There's always a couple of decisions in every game that you could highlight. And I think he's just got to be careful now. I think at the weekend, there was a lot. And... 
maybe he's just better off come out say it and say I think this decision is wrong this decision is wrong this decision is wrong it's been put in a way that's a bit um, it's like it's given a compliment to the opposition and the crowd and stuff but um, uh, we've no excuses and then the video's there so uh, Is he kind of undermining Jack Nienabar and, the, and Felix Jones and the coaches in some way? Well, he's, uh, he's the boss Razzie's the boss that's the reality of it um, so um, who's who's he speaking it, to? You think when he's putting that stuff out, like who, who is he? Tra- what's the, oh, they, they, what's the I point? Think they're, they, they, they probably all can see and know what's happening. He's not sitting. He's not sitting in his room doing it on his own. Um, Somebody's cutting the video for him, and it's all. Yeah, I just think that it's uh, look. I, I, um, I just think that it could backfire a little bit. It could. I'm not saying it will. Um, I think one of the comments came in there from the, the was it a South African. Um, person there talking about South Africa and I, I, I kind of agree with what yeah. they're saying about physically being in, uh, you know very dominant um, not not very dominant against Ireland but really um, they could take a lot out of that loss um, again against France going down to 14 men um, I thought they played and when they had to play and uh, dare I say it if South Africa actually uh, back back their attacking game um they, for me, they will be the favourites and will win the World Cup. Um, they have so much strength and power and they're so well coached, uh, defensively so hard to break down. And that game Saturday night was was incredible um, and could easily have won it. I think they, they did put France under a lot of pressure. But, you know, South Africa have got a fair bit of criticism um, at times with their direct approach and, and their kicking game. But... Um, France have kind of slipped in on, under the radar as probably world, potential World Cup champions here who kick the letter off the ball. You know, they don't play around with it in their own half. Um, they get into that kick tennis situation a lot. And we saw that last year in the Six Nations and they were very successful at it. And it's difficult at times. So I think the team that's going to win the World Cup is going to, going to have to add some attack to that, you know, to uh, a number of performances. And obviously... Um, we saw a different side to South Africa's game on Saturday night because they had to, they're particularly their counter-attack, and they look very, very dangerous. So I think they can feel a little bit aggrieved with one or two things. Um, the yellow card for Dean Faree was a big turning point because obviously France scored off that and, and South Africa went down to 13 men. Um, and that did open up a bit of space and, and, and change the momentum of the game. But... Uh, yeah, going back to Rassi, I, I just think maybe one video would have been enough, but there was yeah. a number of them, wasn't there, after Saturday night? At the game of the weekend, the World Cup final on Saturday morning, I don't know if you saw this, 11 tries. Uh, New Zealand beat England 34-31. England 14-0 up after the first quarter. Get a player sent off. Uh, have a chance to win it right at the end. Kick to the corner. Uh, I think they scored, was it 26 of the last 34 tries was from Rolling Mall. They think, this is us. We're about to win it. And New Zealand steal the line out. It was unbelievable. Did you see any of it, Quinny? Um, I didn't. I was I was uh, keeping Prepping. an eye on Italy. Yeah, I was, and um, we were down to stadium pretty early. Italy and Australia. That that was an incredible result for Italy. They, um, you know, we're obviously playing Australia on Saturday night, but I didn't see see the rugby league stuff. But um, you know, to see the scenes and. Uh, for Italy, you know, they've beaten Wales, Samoa, and Australia in the last three games so um, back in the Six Nations obviously when they beat Wales right at the end the last game it was, uh, 
I think they're kind of building a little bit nicely and it's nice to see that. Um, but that game the other, on Saturday was, was outstanding. They beat Australia 28-27. Uh, just before you go, Quinny, uh, some very sad news out of Munster over the weekend uh, with the passing of Jerry Holland, just 66. Uh, a real pivotal figure in the history of Munster rugby as a player, as a coach, as a team manager, was was there for some of your best ever days? Yeah, it's very sad. And uh, Jerry had an illness for a couple of years. And um, obviously, in, in in the last short period of time, it's, it's, it got worse and it got serious for him. And... Um, you know, it's it's incredible. You think of Paul McNaughton last week, someone who was uh, manager of Ireland when I was there as well, and and very very popular with 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 all the Irish players when he was involved with Ireland, particularly that Grand Slam winning team. And uh, Jerry Holland, um, so many fond memories of Jerry. He was a, a real kind of players manager. He got on so well with everyone. Uh, people were uh, respected him a lot and. He had fun and, and and the crack with us as well, but we knew not to cross Jerry, you know. And he was he was a brilliant part of our setup for for many years. And so many of the players are are kind of shocked and and saddened by that. And um, he's obviously Billy's dad as well, so it's a it's a very difficult situation for the Holland family. And uh, um, Jerry was such great fun. He was he was a a joy to meet up with when you went into the squad. He wasn't a manager that you were trying to avoid he was someone that we had great respect for and the players loved him we actually loved him he was uh, when I went into Munster first of all and I, I, I played for Munster in 96 they gave us contracts in 97 Jerry was the manager and I didn't have a lot of bobs I was just out of um, you know giving up my job and I was tra- we were travelling up and down to Cork and in and out to Limerick training in different camps and uh after a couple of months of, of, of being together, I put in a hefty expenses bill for, for, for mileage to Cork. And uh, Jerry kind of pulled me aside um, after a couple of months and he said, look, I, I, your expenses came in there. I just wanted to have a chat about, about them with you. And uh, I remember thinking, um, God, did I get, did I, I said to Jerry, did I get him wrong? Did I kind of put in too much or, or should I put in more or are the numbers wrong? And he said, listen, there's only one small problem. He said, um, you're putting in uh, mileage to, for driving to Cork. And uh, just so you know, Quinny, you don't have a car. <laughs> uh, so I didn't actually have a car. And he, he passed the expenses anyway. And I remember thinking, God, he's sound. He's sound out. He's brilliant. Uh, so I got the few bob for the expenses. And I was, <laughs> I, I was getting a lift to Cork with Johnny Lacey. Uh, the two of us used to travel down. Johnny had a company car, but um, it was many great nights out. But like, if you crossed Jerry, then you were in trouble. Um, he was big on on kind of discipline off the field as well, and how we how we behaved when we were away in hotels and different trips, going through airports, all that stuff. Um, but he loved to have a few points with the team as well, and he was just great fun. And it, it is obviously very very sad, and uh, it's going to be a tough couple of days for for the family and um, he was a very popular man yeah sympathies to all the Holland family Quinny great stuff as always thanks lads uh, you can get your comments in on YouTube or on any of our social channels um, you were there why do Ireland struggle to deal with having an extra player um, I think that point might be sort of related to a broader point but I think against Fiji particularly this, as I do appreciate that this sounds slightly bizarre because there was a 
portion of the game where they were down to 13 players there's probably no worse team to be playing who are down to 13 players a bit more space on the pitch they don't need to get clogged up with numbers in the middle of the park and they can spray it wide and um, I would need to look back but I don't think that uh, they did particularly bad against us while they were down to 13 or 14 uh, so there's a bit more space for them so I think you need to look at, through that as well and like look I don't know maybe the, I, I don't know what planning goes on behind the scenes in terms of like our own discipline generally tends to be pretty good um, I'm sure they plan for scenarios where the opposition are down to uh, 14 players for a period of time but it's very hard like is it a prop that goes off is it a out half that goes off it's very difficult I mean you, you, you yeah very difficult I don't know Alright, uh, after the break we're going to go through all the morning's top stories with Cahill Milani and Kathleen, Kathleen McNamee OTB AM OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mode Alright, you are welcome back It is Monday's OTB AM Nathan and Adrian with you this morning Get your comments in on YouTube or on any of our social channels It's not just myself and Adrian though because Cahill Milani and Kathleen McNamee are in the studio as well It's a packed house for the rest of the morning How are you keeping Kathleen? Doing very well Congratulations are in order Thank you very much Best podcast, Koi Gig. We knew this already. Well, obviously. Now you got the trophy to prove it. Now we actually have a trophy to prove it. Yeah, and there was quite a lot of competition as well. I was surprised that we won, so I was kind of delighted with it. You're, you're, sound, you're, you're sounding a little bit like uh, some sure. people sound, uh, you know, after the radio awards. I swear was it a I long did, uh, night? It was a long night, but uh, I actually did have a cold before. Oh, we yeah. Went, so yeah. it just all got ten times worse. It turned out the wine didn't cure the cold. No, shockingly. This years. is actually the best I've sounded all weekend. Right. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed. So this was a digital media awards yeah digital media awards and we were up against like independent like lots of other kind of very strong brands Louise Cooney who's a very popular influencer and yeah Koi Gig won and new episode tomorrow morning where we will all be <laughs> celebrating glass the of champagne yeah if anyone wants to listen in it's in all the usual spots so you can get the podcast but yeah no it is it's really nice I think we were very fortunate that we started this podcast a year ago where everything that has happened since, you know, qualifying for a World Cup, we've had a lot of great things to bounce off. So it's been really nice to be able to document that. And I hope, like, even in the future, it's going to be really nice to look back and be like, well, we were the ones that were there first. We documented that first ever World Cup. No one else was doing it at the same time. So I think it was a very deserved award, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I'll uh, say all of us. That's, uh, it's, it's not just a one-woman band. I Well done to Emma out there as well, yeah. who also had a good night. Yep, she was there with me. Uh, and, to um, Karen. Yep. Who isn't allowed to go to major award ceremonies, no. you were saying. You just you no. couldn't bring her well, on. we just couldn't trust her. Uh, Emma Byrne, who's just joined the team. Not a bad new signing. No, not a bad one at all. Uh, the no, top Irish players. Uh, of, of all time. Yeah. And uh, of course, Catherine Murphy, who doesn't like to be, you know, likes to so uh, wait behind the scenes. She was jet setting oh, around she? the world. She was in Morocco, so I think she was well celebrating done to Catherine from there. As well, so. uh, Cahill, what did you do over the weekend? I'm like, there's an all star <laughs> cast. It's all award winners, and then it's me. I don't know what, what I'm have you doing got. Here. What have you got for us? You're from Sligo, Cahill, so you have that. <laughs> like, this, geez, this is two Sligo <laughs> people on air together. To, I this is quite some concerning. recommending him there, Catherine. I don't know what to Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just watched sport for the weekend. That's what I did. So what, what What did you watch? What did you... Um, I watched enjoy? the cup final yesterday and I think Derry City are going to... I think they could definitely challenge Shamrock Rovers now. Um, I thought they were excellent yesterday for long stages. The first goal was brilliant and uh, it seems like they've got a great thing going and wouldn't it be great if James McLean came back to Derry City? Uh, it was floated by Rory Higgins. Yeah, it was floated by... No, he was only uh, joking. I think there have been a lot of rumours about it over the last yeah. few weeks and Rory Higgins last week said like he's you know just scored for... 
Yeah, um, he scored from a corner actually at the weekend, James McLean. Yeah. Uh, just scoring for Wigan in the Championship and he's in the Ireland squad is probably not going to happen. It'll definitely happen at some stage though. But I wonder, would he be tempted when he's, he was there yesterday obviously and saw yeah. the fanfare about it and there's a good chance they could win the league title in the not too distant future. Um, if ever there was a player to do it, just wonder. while he's still somewhere yeah. near his peak, it'd be McLean. Because Duff came back, I know Duff was at the mm. very end of his career but he played a few games for Shamrock Rovers, didn't he? Um, so I mean, it'd be great for the League of Ireland if he did. And uh, Derry have a really good squad. They have a really good squad and they've got investment behind them now as well. So they've got a really good thing going. And the league is, is good. Rory Higgins and, and Damien Duff, two really good managers, uh, high-profile managers. Uh, we spoke last week on the programme that Jim McGuinness is in the frame for the Finn Harps job, which would also raise the profile of the league as well. So, Well, in the grand tradition of GA, who would he, he'd have to bring somebody in alongside him, wouldn't he? he All about just, your backroom uh, team. He couldn't just take out. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's like <laughs> bring in a former Intercounty exactly. Blair and an All-Ireland winner. But um, I think it's been a great year for the League of Ireland. Yeah, it has. And uh, I think a title race, uh, which they, like, if it had all gone down to that final night and mm. Rovers against Derry, I think everybody would have been talking about it. But obviously Derry just couldn't maintain it and drew too many games in the end. But yeah, it does seem with the backing that they have, like both of them have substantial backing. Uh, as much as you can spend, that's the one thing you can say. You have a billionaire owner, but uh, how yeah. much can you realistically spend to bring players in? Uh, but it would be an unbelievable story. I, I can't see it with McLean. Maybe he comes back during the summer at the end of this season. Yeah, But I think... Like, does it put his Ireland spot at risk if he was to come back? Potentially not as much as it would under another manager who hasn't connections to the League of Ireland like Stephen Kenny does. Mm. Also, his his Ireland career is in the winter. It's in the deep winter. It is in the deep winter, but he's still, if not the starting left back, he's second choice. So, yeah, yeah I don't. I mean, what age is he? Was he now about thirty-one, thirty-two? Yeah, is that all? Jeez, if I would have. I would I'm just. I'm just throwing that out. There. I should know these really. I'll. I'll, I'll, I'll do the old uh, Google there. You know, James um, McLean. Wait for it. I would He's say now 33. I would have said 33, 34. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Deep winter. He looks well. In fairness, he keeps there was a lot of conversation about this a few years ago where there was, he was rumored to come back, and there was a lot of chat about uh, the Wags would have said, "Oh, like this. You know, would he should he even be starting in the? Would he even get a game in the League of Ireland?" Oh, you mean wags by supporters? I yeah. was like, why? Why is it girlfriends? I was like, this is an unbelievable uh, insight into the conversation with the Irish players' wives and girlfriends. Why would I be uh, doubting James McLean? Wow, <laughs> they're actually pulling all the strings. It's not yeah. Yeah, that's at right. All. That's right. Yeah. This is a, this is a real story. revelation. Yeah, uh, I want to see a some sort of a sporting contest between James McLean and Denise O'Sullivan at some stage. The two of them would sicken you. McLean yeah, goes out and plays good. for Wigan on a Saturday and then you flick on his Instagram on a Saturday night and he's doing a boxing session at midnight. Mm. There's just this insatiable appetite uh-huh. to stay fit. Clearly just totally addicted to the gym. And Denise O'Sullivan is the exact same. Right. Every single day. Like she's in her off-season season, off season at the season. moment and like her Instagram every day is just her doing like multiple different right. classes. She's like, oh, just done on like a 20k run. Now I'm off to the gym. I did the same. I just don't put it on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Instagram, you know? Showing off. Uh, Ireland are playing today. Yes, playing. Countdown to Australia starts here. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's an interesting tie. So they're playing Morocco at five o'clock Irish time, I think. And they played them on Friday in a behind closed doors match. There hasn't really been all that information about it that I've seen. They drew 2-2, but they were 2-0 up. So Morocco came back at them. It was a shadow squad. A lot of the regulars won't be involved. I expect it to be a different team tonight. Louise Quinn is making her 100th cap, so she's going to lead the team out as captain. Um, but it, like, it is a good test in the lead-up to the World Cup in the sense that, OK, 
Morocco were like quite like ranked quite low compared to us but they did also beat Nigeria at AFCON this year in the semi-final on penalties they are they're going to their first World Cup as well so they're at a similar stage to us in that sense um, and I heard the match on Friday was a particularly like feisty affair so it'll be interesting to see how we line up tonight does Vera Powell go for like a full strength squad or does she just take some of the younger players in there and kind of give them a bit of a game um, and as you said it's all World Cup build. Yeah, it is. We we don't know fully what the build up is going to look like. There's another international break no. early next year, and a lot of the teams play a tournament there, so Ireland may end up having three or four games. Uh, they will certainly want a couple of games at home, I would imagine, between yeah. now and the World Cup. I thought it was kind of disappointing, and I don't know if this is because Ireland didn't like because before qualifying for the World Cup, you know, Vera Powell said that she wanted to take any money and like spend it on the pre camp before like those qualifying matches and kind of put everything into that and that's why we've ended up playing Morocco in a game that was quite quickly organised by the FAI but the Arnold Clark Cup is on over in England and I was looking at the lineup, and it's definitely the sort of competition that we could be involved in last year it was quite a big lineup. you know you had your Germany your Spain, like big teams this year it's like Japan I think it's one of the uh, it's like Latvia or someone that's playing but like the sort of teams that we definitely should be mm. like going for those sort of tournaments I know we had the Pinnator Cup but like the Arnold Clark Cup is kind of you get to play against England you get to play at like big stadiums so it was I understand that the FAI may not have even been in the bidding process for it but if we can get ourselves into those sort of tournaments even past this year I think it would be really good for like Euro qualification or anything else although with the League of Nations happening we may not want extra games <laughs> We need to tip the cap to Louise Quinn though I mean mm. 100 caps tonight it probably isn't mm. the sort of profile of a game that you would want it to fall on like yeah. a big game at Tala or wherever it might be even at the World Cup would have been an amazing achievement but um, like she's been there she's bridged one of those players obviously that's bridged that gap to Liberty Hall going back as far as Liberty Hall and um, been a real like I mean, there's not many players in the Emma Byrne category of no. people that have sort of been at the vanguard to that degree. But certainly one of those players, obviously, captain her country and um, will go down as one of the all-time greats, of course. It's incredible when you look at that defence. Doing my research ahead of the Scotland game, and I think 16 years since she made her debut. Yeah, 15 All three years, of them, it was like 60 <laughs> to be around for that long, all of them heading towards 100 caps. And... I know she's spoken very honestly about the captaincy decision when it was given to Katie McCabe mm. and how she probably would have been first in line, everyone would have assumed. And look, it lines out it looks such a brilliant decision to give it, particularly because Louise Quinn is such a good professional and actually you get another captain because Louise Quinn is always just going to be and such like a Katie natural McCabe leader. And Katie McCabe said that as well whenever she got the captaincy that mm. Louise Quinn was the person who helped her through that. And like that must have been really hard for Louise to know that she should probably be captain if you didn't have someone of Katie McCabe's level and Katie McCabe turned to her being like look I'm quite young I don't really know exactly what, how to do everything and she was the person that led her through it uh, So that game on this evening we'll see what Vera Powell decides to do uh, I think Vera Powell's going to be on tomorrow morning show actually uh, so we'll get the reaction from Vera Powell then as well but she'll obviously want to get the bit of balance of giving some game time to players who are probably on the periphery during qualification while also maintaining the core of the team mm-hmm. so you can learn a lot about them so making sure Katie McCabe starts and Denise O'Sullivan starts and Denise O'Sullivan's out of season at the moment so probably wants that game as well because she always named big squads like this is going to become a yeah. big talking point as we get closer like the squad is 23 Vera Powell's already been questioning of that that the men's World Cup is 26 the women's is 23 yeah, players generally she'd name a squad of about 28 so there's going to be a lot of very disappointed players Yeah and this is something that I said after we qualified because it's almost like we've 
like grown to love this team so much because they qualified us for the World Cup. But you've no idea like which of these players are actually going to be there in a year's time. You know, Katie McCabe. I don't even want to say it. She could get injured before the World Cup or something, and then like, what what are you doing? How are you replacing? And we already have the likes of Jesu and Ellen Malloy, who Vera Powell very early days has said definitely won't be making the World Cup and they won't be um, back in time for the World Cup next year. So that's also a great place for some of the younger players to come in and kind of say, well, look, I want to take my claim. Uh, Cahill, it was a busy weekend in GEA. The Galacticos of Kilmacud Croaks just keep rolling on. They do. Hurling and football. They can do nothing wrong. A super... Super club. A super club. Super... A super club. A great club. Definition. A club which is super. Adrian even has a club club car just for volunteering with the under fives. (laughs) 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 The under fives. (laughs) (laughs) But like they, they beat a team who beat them last year. Yeah. This is not like the you know jeez, I mean of all the teams to be picking on, Nathan, the the hurlers it seems like a very soft. Many hurling. players have you got in the Academy down in Croaks now tell me that? Um to be about if everybody was turned up there'd be over hundred and thirty, I'd say. How but it's we, a big catchment area. That? It's not like what what your bloody hell and exasperation comment is based on what like that. It's some sort of a Manchester City academy, and they're paying all the parents. I mean, I wish <laughs> you're the were. person who said it. No one else said it. <laughs> yeah, room, well, no, so. it's been said. It's been said on this show before, not that long ago. But like, it's a ludicrous notion. It's a big catchment area. There's a load of kids. It's an unbelievable volunteer mo- movement. I'm forced, like Carl, on a weekly basis to come on here and defend the club. And I feel I it's feel very it's unfair when I'm going down with the under nines and Paul Griffin is on the sideline for Kilmacud. Like, how, how, like that's that's just the first. Very first, to start with. The very first training session that my uh, eldest kid did down in Croaks last year, they were broken up into groups and his first ever GA coach was Paul Griffin. Wow. It's like, that's not, that's not bad. That's Paul Griffin even found him good. Yes. <laughs> his entire life. Yeah. His entire life. Yeah. I know, it's great. It's great. Tough gig. I know, five, you don't, I know you don't mean that. Under five gig. coaches. It is a tough gig. Coaches, I, I, tough I went game. to Tommy Welch last year to ask him for a bit of advice because I knew he was doing some of the same sort of stuff with a roughly the same age group. So I was like, listen, Tommy, like, what sort of drills are you doing down in Kilkenny? And like, what's the, you know, what's going on? Because we need to be able to pour some of that stuff in over here. And he was like, yeah, listen, if you can keep their shoelaces tied for the session, that's you've You're doing well. done a good job. And he's absolutely right. And then he just has a natural Tommy Walshness that unfortunately, Adrian, you help them tie their shoelaces and leave the coaching to somebody else yeah, no, that's, that's a good but it was a, a big win for Croaks it was it was a significant win wasn't it because they lost to Clock Balacola last year um, and a big win for St Mullins from Carlo who beat uh, St Aidan's from Wexford yesterday as well in the, in the Leinster Club and obviously Bally Hale hammered uh, Castletown Gagan and then in the football two games in the Ulster Club quarterfinals went to penalties uh, Enniskill and Gales beat Gowna on Saturday night and yesterday Cargan of Antrim beat Nave Connell from Donegal which was a big shock um, they got a late goal in normal time six minutes into added time to, to get a draw <coughs> go after extra time and then they won on penalties so uh, I think penalties is fine to settle a GA match to be honest I think it's bedded in now at this stage I think so long as teams know well in advance and they do yeah. I don't see any difficulty in just becomes the norm that Rory Canavan dummy oh. <sighs> so good honestly like that was outrageous yeah. the first time I saw the clip I was like, I wonder why this clip has gone viral. That he's got—he's just about kicked the ball. He's got to a point in his movement where it's impossible to do anything else, yeah. and he removes it at the last second. A thing of absolute beauty. And the guy is totally committed to the block. How you—you you, you like, couldn't. He said afterwards, yeah. he was like, "You win some, you lose some." Yeah. Like, yeah, I love that. Fair enough. Fair uh, what about David Clifford? 
Yeah. Scored 2-12 at the weekend uh, for Fossa in the Kerry Junior Football Final. They beat Listry by 4-15 to 22 points. Uh, he's pretty much won everything this year. He's won the Allianz League, the Munster Championship, the All-Ireland Championship, the Kerry Senior Championship with East Kerry, yeah. and now the Premier Junior Championship with Fossa as well. They now go into the Munster Junior campaign. Yeah. Um, there's a good clip of Clifford going around as well. I don't know if you've seen it of his goal in that match where he just glides by yeah. three or four defenders. It's just he literally like, walks it yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, it's just the clip I saw somebody run a bit of Jimmy McGee, McGee uh, World Cup commentary over the top. Different class, yeah. different class. Yeah, yeah. And he loses the ball. He loses control of the ball, and then oh. and he goes out. I'm surprised he was sort of giving it the big one afterwards, wasn't he? he was, yeah, because yeah. in one way, like it's obviously an unbelievable goal, and the point he scores at the end is it to send it to extra time. Yeah. But like, there's context to all of it. Like, David Clifford is just so good. <laughs> like playing junior football, it is unfair. It is unfair <laughs> for on the opposition that you're going up against David yeah. Clifford. It must be amazing. Like he's well. so good yeah. that like you'd be talking about that in 50 years time Definitely. about playing against David Clifford yeah. in a junior yeah. football final. Yeah. Average schleps. I'd he's recovered well. I'll tell you from our chat at the <laughs> All Stars. <laughs> this 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 uh, this is an untold story. An untold story. Been told this morning. Uh, well, not, there's not, not, not that much to tell. I was uh, I was leaving the All Stars. Uh, Adrian Barry already done a, an Irish exit uh, a little bit earlier at about half twelve. And I'll tell you what, the Cliffords were lucky. They ran into me just as I was leaving. <laughs> now they had the uh, the final with East Kerry on the Sunday, so you yeah. can take it that they didn't have a couple of drinks on them, whereas I may win. <laughs> so uh, we we had a la- we, had, we had a good chat. Yeah. Um, we videoed the entire thing to send to Owen Sheehan. Excellent. Uh, Nobody has seen the video. Like, I woke up the next morning, looked at the video, and went, "Maybe I won't send this." Though. <laughs> he's he's so afraid about this video going viral that he hasn't even like in one to one capacity. I wanted you at that moment to be like, "And now we're going to roll yeah. the clip." No, David, uh, no, David Clifford was uh, and and Paddy, uh two lovely fellas, uh, were were very good with their time. There was definitely a moment about thirty seconds from the end where I could see them drifting off, going. Don't really want to be associated well, with I'd it. So for that reason, half an hour into chatting to you, I would, I, would just, I would just leave. <laughs> uh, but as was pointed out, there was uh, hurling all-star winners looking to get their photo taken with David Clifford. Yeah. Like, he is a super, he's a megastar. He's just got in, in the room. You see him over at the other side of the room. You're like, oh god, yeah. that guy's got something about him. Yeah, Could be the greatest get a footballer of all time. Yeah. Uh, what else we got from the weekend? Uh, there was Porrick Harrington last night won the Charles Schwab Cup Championship, but he fell short in the overall Charles Schwab Cup. So the season-ending tournament, he finished on 27 under par, which is actually a record. He won by seven shots in Arizona. They ties the previous record. Uh, Jack Nicholas also finished on 27 under in a tournament back in the early 1990s. Uh, but Stephen Alker, who Harrington played with last night, won the Schwab Cup, which is the Order of Merit on the Champions Tour. Harrington ended in second in the money list. Darren Clark was in a tie for 20th on six under. Harrington won 4.3 million this year in prize money Oof. between the two, well, three tours he plays in the PGA, the DBE, mm. and the Champions Tour, which is not bad at all. Uh, so he's won four times in the last five months on the seniors tour he, he was interesting when he was on after the US Senior Open with Joe where I think Joe was like oh it's, it's another major he's like nah he would <laughs> yeah. like nah it's, it's, it's yeah. not really but he, he definitely seems to be enjoying the Champions Tour a lot more than he expected because I thought he'd play sporadically but that the desire to still be able to prove himself against the younger guys mm-hmm. that he'd go back and play DP Tour a lot more and play yeah. as many PGA Tour events where actually he seems to have settled in in the last yeah. I think this is five weeks in a row he's played on the Champions Tour but He's such a competitor though isn't he I'd say he loves just being in, in competition and being able to winning. compete at a level and winning yeah absolutely um, He's like David Clifford in junior yeah, football basically but <laughs> well, that's what he is at the moment like he's uh, what is yeah. he? he's just turned 51 yeah. so like he's the young kid yeah. and he's going to have three or four years of this being easy to him Yeah so. Yeah, uh, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised. I was saying in Golf Weekly that like Bernard Langer uh, yeah. won last week at what was he sixty six, uh, 
Harrington has the mindset and the physique that you could easily see him playing and competing and winning till he's 65, 66 yeah, on the senior tour. He still thinks he can win, win a major on the I still on the think he's going to have, because he's in, he's in the Open for another 10, 10 Open Championships. <laughs> yeah. He'll have one year, definitely, where he'll be in the mix you feel that will have to come in the next two or three years, though. Yeah. There is a point Link's physically. Golf is kind of different Tom because Watson, you get a nice. Tom Watson was fifty nine, I think he was, wasn't he? When mm. Stuart Sink won, uh, Tom Watson. Tom Watson was fifty nine when he when he didn't win. Yeah, no, he had a six footer. He had a six footer to win, didn't he? No, it's unfair. But uh, Harrington, yeah, like uh, he's such a likable fellow with his um, and his game has improved. Like I mean, wasn't he struggling with his wedges uh, kind of in the latter stages of his career on the main tours? But he's transformed that. And uh, 27 under par is a ridiculous score. A ridiculous score. Mm. Uh, I'm sure we'll come back to this over the coming days. Uh, we were trying to get someone from the Leinster Council on. I'm sure everyone's seen the video at this stage of what happened at Parnell Park on Saturday. Uh, the Leinster Intermediate Club hurling quarterfinal between Nate Barrog and Allard de Balak. Uh, depending on what angle you're looking from, uh, none of it is good. Mm. There's a scrap on the pitch which turns into an almighty scrap in the stand. Uh, somebody comes around with a hurl and starts whacking people uh, on the back with it that I didn't see in the first video. Uh, there's an investigation starting. They're waiting for the referee's report this morning. Uh, the line people always use is, it's shocking, but it's not in any way shocking because literally once a month, a this exact same thing happens. Like, What do you do? Do you just throw, throw both clubs straight out of the competition? Or if it was one club, the, it was the people from one club <coughs> more false, you just like throw them straight out? Point, doesn't it? Like, it does feel like the chat up to this point has a lot been about, listen, this is not typical of GA games. This is just what happens. But it feels like that every video you see there's another one and like almost that at some point maybe prior to that people had felt like well we shouldn't we've got, we've got might be taking a video of it but we won't put it out because it's unfair on the people or the players or the GEA but now actually culturally people are more in the habit of videoing them more in the habit of publishing them I think the more we see the more we will see and I do think that we need to stop saying this is untypical. Of course, there are. Of course, it's like. Well, 1% I think the point is. Less, yeah, exactly. But, There's a thousand games yeah, over the weekend. This happens in but one that's, of them. We but shouldn't it's be one of them every get out class for anything. It mm. needs to be. I do think that something significant needs to happen whether that's obviously individual punishments and there's so many angles of that stuff at the weekend that I'm sure there's a lot of people with um, a lot of. Uh, um, yeah, concerned this morning about whether they'll be allowed to be involved in GA going forward. But at some point or another, you do need to take another step, which is probably in relation to the club or some sort of fines or um, if it's not that it's the holding back of funding but th- it feels to me like we don't need to get too sort of pearl clutching about it but there does need to be action taken mm. over it it's, it just can't continue like I mean there's, well, it, it's, there's you know like but it I, is a cultural thing that somehow somebody thinks I have a hurl in my hand in the stand and, and it's okay and when it kicks hurl. off yeah. I'm going to go down but and so, get involved so, in so this what the, GA, the, the leadership that the GA need to show is that that person needs to have in their mind needs to be able to think straight away about the consequence of their action. That's the only way forward here. And, like, you don't want to be all think about the kids, but, like, I mean, there are kids and stuff at that game, yeah. and you're witnessing that, possibly in the middle of that. Like, um, I, I really think that they're, you know, obviously they will follow whatever protocol they have in place in relation to investigations and whatever else, but I would like to see um, often and regular communication from the GEA about this and like you say we have requests in we haven't had anybody to come on and speak to us about it just yet hopefully that'll change as the week goes on but um, yeah I really feel like it's, it's significant and important enough for deep and uh, considered action to be taken over and listen it's difficult in clubs and I'm sure there's a lot of people involved in both clubs horrified by what they saw but it does feel the only way to properly 
punish is to put it back on the clubs and say you are responsible for your supporters in the ground and if they misbehave the entire club is going to be punished yeah 100% and you know there's been a lot of stuff about referees and incidents of referees that has come out since the initial stuff came out earlier on in the summer it seems to be nearly a weekly basis now there's a story about a referee being uh, you know nearly attacked by, by people at matches or assaulted or whatever has happened and you know it is a problem it's a huge problem and there needs to be swift and pretty decisive action I would think taken and I think there is a clamour now across the association given all the incidents that there have been over the last couple of months that this really does need to be addressed and you know it's going to come to a stage where people are going to be afraid to take up officiating at these matches and mm. then we don't have matches Well I think culturally people are now seeing those clips and they, so they want to set so I'll be at a game this weekend and I see yeah. something going on I've, I've got the footage I'll put that out so we'll be sitting here again next week having the same conversation or the week after this isn't, this isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, so I think it's something definitely the GA has to look at. I think they've mentioned that referee recruitment is going to be one of the key pillars in the next three to five years. But, I mean, if this stuff is happening on yeah. a week here, every fortnight, I mean, it's going to be very difficult to recruit referees. Uh, one other thing from the weekend, because I think we were both watching it yesterday evening, the Brazilian Grand Prix, oh. a first victory for George, George Russell. But that wasn't the real story. It all came out afterwards. Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez. So Max Verstappen, the world champion, is Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez. Uh, wasn't a good week for Red Bull. They're sort of scrapping it out for, was it 6th and 7th at that stage? And Perez is trying to come 2nd in the World Drivers' Championship or 3rd in the World Drivers' Championship. Uh, Verstappen sold to let him pass, team orders, and he refuses to do so. What is with the Formula 1 drivers? There seems to be a really, Oof. like bad attitude or no team camaraderie anyway mm. well the, the, the two drivers. of them used to get on really well Perez yeah. and mm-hmm. Verstappen and the, obviously there's been a split and uh, the coverage so I saw none of the race at all but I feel as if I was hugely entertained having come in just after it finished watching the post-race coverage for about an hour it was high sport entertainment as far as I'm concerned but they, everybody all the reporters tried to get to the bottom of both of them as to what had actually happened mm. Why? what's the context of this oh we can't really, we're not going to say, but, I, you know, it was clear that because they had some footage of uh, Chris Horner uh, having a conversation with, uh, with with Verstappen about it. And it was clear that there was like, it was a tense, conver- a full and frank conversation, as Jim Gavin might say. And uh, it, everybody came out after it and said, well, listen, if it happens again, I'll, I'll step aside. But it's a crazy idea that he stopped his teammate yeah. getting ahead of his rival ahead of the final race so that's what it I think like, surely the team themselves want their two drivers to finish yes, in the yeah. highest possible position and Verstappen well maybe he's just so confident because he's winning that like well I, I'm, I'm looking at the comment on, on Ronaldo from earlier from somebody who said Ronaldo's one of the greats of the game that comes with a certain mindset and attitude and you could put that on Max Verstappen mm-hmm. that the reason he's a world champion is that he has that attitude yeah. but I think also the reason I would argue differently as well yeah. because he's done stuff for Verstappen well, look back to so the race last year at Abu Dhabi yeah. like the reason Max Verstappen was in a position to overtake Lewis Hamilton was because Perez drove so brilliantly to slow mm. Hamilton well up it's so childish it made no difference to Verstappen at all the Ronaldo comparison no, was really well, I'm the alpha here and I, like the comments afterwards were uh, like I, it's very difficult to know it's a big job for Christian Horner to somehow get these two back you know, yeah. uh, over the next year Um because what Verstappen said was, I told you already last summer, you guys don't ask that again to me, okay? Are we clear about that? I gave my reasons and I stand by it. Uh, 
Perez said it shows who he really is. Now, in the interview, you were talking about Perez was sort of saying, oh, I think maybe there was a communications breakdown or something, and Sky told him, no, no, there was no communications <laughs> yeah. breakdown. For Stappen refused, yeah. refused, and he said, maybe you should ask him about that. I have nothing to say. After all I've done for him, yeah. it's a bit disappointing, to be honest. I have no idea. I'm really surprised. And uh, then after that again, uh, Verstappen uh, was talking and, again, didn't want to say a huge amount. I get my reasons why I didn't do it. I think everyone understood that. It was good that we finally all sat together. I think we're professional enough to move forwards. So he looked like a spoiled child. He looked like a scorned child mm. afterwards for Sapp when he came out. He was like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done that thing. But like we've spoken about it. And like if it happens in Abu Dhabi, I'll, you know, I will get out of the way. It's like, you know, it is, it is an interesting dynamic in terms of the player versus the power of the, of the driver versus the power of the team. But geez, it was real. Because they'd asked him three or four times over the radio to pull in. Uh, Christian Horner said so the, he's going for second places between um, Perez and Charles Leclerc and he said it's a straight fight Max can help in any way he will do so just not today really, really doesn't uh, sound like let's that let's see anything else Are we done Shine, Shine. Kathleen award winning Koi gig coming tomorrow tomorrow morning yeah that the intro the award-winning quick Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Getting you Sting, all that sort of yeah. stuff done. Oh, well, should we need everyone else to have their moment to celebrate since Emma and I were the only ones at the award on there Friday? More yeah. drinks. Yeah. Speak to the head of content. I'm sure he'll sort you yeah. out for a minute. It'll be, it'll, it's, it's, it's all fine. Uh, thanks to everyone who got in touch this morning. Uh, a lot of comments on Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm sure the lads will be touching on that on Off the Ball this evening from 7 o'clock with Joe. Uh, the World Cup starts in six days and yet again, we haven't spoken about it at all. I'm sure at some stage... Ronaldo ruined it first this morning. I'm sure at some stage uh, we will start talking about the World Cup. Um, OTB Sports Radio today, 1 o'clock. OTB Gold is Kundaguch Cooper. Splunk on from 3 o'clock. Classic Game Club is Bayern against Chelsea from back in 2012. And then Jason Sherlock, brilliant interview with him from 6 o'clock. As I said, Joe's back from 7 they'll be looking back on Ireland Fiji in the rugby on Monday Night Rugby Pat Nevin on the weekend's football as well and you can follow OTB across all our social channels subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best and latest sports content we're back tomorrow morning on OTBM from half past 7 Mike Carlson will be joining us to react to an epic game between the Bills and the Vikings and plenty more besides we're going to leave you though with the thoughts from yesterday's two Premier League games first here's Shane Keegan following Manchester United's late late 2-1 win at Fulham we'll talk to you tomorrow good luck OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless shave, magnificent mode.